<laughs> Welcome. Ye thought they would only be one part of arches, but no, there are more arches to come. <laughs> and we're very happy to have you here with us. We hope you're happy to be here. So, uh, lovely to see you again, Adrian. <laughs> With an introduction like that, I mean, I'm, I'm dumbfounded. I don't know what to say. <laughs> um, you, you've had a good uh, had a good week. Yeah, it's been a great week. Been uh, thinking about arches. Been thinking what we like to hear in a semicircular manner. Um, <laughs> yeah, loving it. For me, I'm, I'm yeah, I, I love this this feel. So I've just been in heaven finding all my spare time just to, <laughs> to look at pictures of nice buildings and stuff I'm, I'm sure there's a quote somewhere about uh is it the pantheon uh being a uh although there's no arches in the pantheon oh, man. uh there's a dome though but there's, something, <laughs> there's something about the pantheon being um you know kind of like a, a stairway to heaven because of the, the light coming down oh yeah like yeah so that's like that i think i think the idea with the pantheon as well yeah. is like the whole of the top yeah, um, exactly. There's a shaft of light that comes directly. That's, hits, that's what I was getting at. But yeah. it's crazy. It hits the doorway uh, to the Pantheon at exactly the right moment, exactly oh, the right wow. day for the mm -hmm. emperor to enter. I, I don't remember <laughs> off the top of my head, but it's only one time of year, and it's exactly the moment. I love how dramatic that is. Feast of Jupiter or something. Crazy. Oh, yeah. Very very cool. <laughs> off to a off to a bad start with unsubstantiated uh, facts and <laughs> anecdotes. Um, uh, how about yourself? Have you had a good week? Yeah, yeah, I've had a, I've had a really good week. Um, yeah, I uh, it's, in, it's in the escape room. I uh, went to a pub. Um, <laughs> there were artists in the pub, actually, as well. It was one of those, I don't know what to call them. You know, this, um, I mean, if you don't live in Britain, maybe you haven't seen one of these, but these kind of like mock semi-medieval um, interiors of a pub where you get these kind of arches around the bar, That's these so tiny cool. little kind of wooden arches. Mm. Uh, yeah, it was called the Drug to Bar in Edinburgh. Um, very nice, very small. Um, lovely, lovely. Good, good selection of <laughs> of con continental beers. <laughs> <laughs> Which continent? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, they had. What do they have? Um, they had a vice beer. That was very nice. Ah, nice, nice, Yeah, nice. a German one. Uh, and then they had a couple of Belgian ones as well, which were very lovely. Um, yeah, so that, that was my arch-rated uh, theme um, <laughs> Yeah, for, for this week. And, and then, again, I'm also in the arched room. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> really yeah, committing to the, to the bit <laughs> yes, there. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to covering this day. But where we were last time, if I can remember, because although, you know, our listeners will get this, you know, um, the next week or the next two weeks after the previous one was released, uh, it's been a few weeks since we've recorded the last one, hasn't it? Yes, it has. Yeah. <laughs> I've been battling inner, inner demons, quite literally, inner demons, yeah. on, on a course of antibiotics. Still recovering, if you can believe I think, it. I think you've been reading too much kind of Byzantine literature. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was <laughs> the Justinian plague, I caught, yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, you've, you've, had, uh, you've been quite unwell, haven't you? 
Yeah, I've not been I've not been drinking. I've been at home all the time. <laughs> I've been secluding myself to Byzantine charts and Byzantine architecture. Oh, okay, very very healing. Yeah, I, I feel yeah. I feel great. You know, I feel oh, that's good to, that's I feel good. I'm practically. <laughs> Stinking of, uh, of <laughs> herbs and everything, paper uh, rub and all that stuff. But um, no, it feels good. But it has been a while. Um, but it's good to be back. Uh, yeah, back on the back on the whiskey. Oh, of course, sit. yeah. How, how I, nearly, I nearly forgot. I mean, what, what are you drinking today? Ah, uh, uh, today. <laughs> today I'm just drinking kind of a classic it's, it's quite easy to get hold of here i think it's yeah. probably the best for the price point in shops not online i just yeah. have a jura single malt uh, the um, classic. <laughs> old classic they sell it in my local co-op uh for the oh, lowest please. price <laughs> compelling <Hell yeah. laughs> for single malts and i think it's uh pretty pretty reliable it is always very reasonably priced actually isn't it in, uh, it's always on sale too <laughs> yeah um yeah it's, it's a solidly good very smooth one uh, i've myself have uh, i came across something that i just could not resist so uh i mean i'm presuming that most people are here for the the history rather than the whiskey but if, if there are any any whiskey whiskey uh, kind of aficionados then they would know that for a long time there was only one welsh distillery the penduin distillery however no longer there's now the abba falls distillery which has opened i'm not sure actually where in wales if it's also in south wales but um this is their first year of whiskey production, I believe, and it tastes amazing. It's very, it's very, very low price point as well, because obviously it hasn't won any awards yet. yet. Uh, well, I think from how it we, tastes, it's going to win some. We it's, should it's, obviously it's, be sponsored by them, though. This is uh... <laughs> it tastes so good. <laughs> um, I've been, um, yeah, I've been ranting and raving all about this uh, ever since I got it um, this weekend. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's kind of got like this. Uh, I don't know if you ever had Calvados. I don't know if I have. Uh, you've mentioned it before, but I'm not sure if I've yeah. actually tried it. So, I mean, for people that don't know or haven't had it, it's um, it's basically like a really tart apple brandy um, from Northern France. So this this almost has a hint of that to it, but then it's very smooth and doesn't really. It's more kind of sweet appley mm. rather than tart appley. Um, it's very very nice. That sounds lovely, actually. It's currently about twenty pounds on Amazon in the UK, so I would highly recommend. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Put a link in the description. Yes. <laughs> this is unsponsored, unadvertised. Yes, this is entirely unsponsored. Yeah. <laughs> I, unfortunately, yes. um, lovely. Definitely. I mean, that sounds exciting. I'm definitely going to pick up a bottle of that. Yeah. Um, very exciting. So, um, lovely. Okay. Well, we've. We've had our whiskey talk. Yeah. Done, done the peasantries, done the whiskey. <laughs> uh, I think the last thing you were talking about last week was the Arch of Justinian. Sorry, I'm, I'm Constantine. Constantine. <laughs> wrong, wrong, wrong emperor. <laughs> oh. It's all the same, isn't it? <laughs> oh, no, no. Um, we were. So we, we picked a really good place to, to jump off mm-hmm. last time. Um, and we now have a very good place to pick up. So... After the initial preamble, let's take a quick break here, regroup, and then let's crack on with the journey, yeah? No one ever became wary of this spectacle, but those who are in the church delight in what they see, and when they leave, magnify it in their talk. Moreover, 
it is impossibly accurate to describe the gold and silver and gems presented by the Emperor Justinian, but by the description of one part, I leave the rest to be inferred. <laughs> it's very hard not to crack up reading that. But, uh, <laughs> that, was, uh, that was Procopius, who um, uh, was employed by uh, the Emperor Justinian. So this, this is in the uh, early to mid 6th century AD, so the 500s. Um, and as well as being employed by Justinian, he doesn't actually like him. And he's, he's, the, he's, into, he's widely believed to, uh, if not attributed, to have written the secret histories of Justinian, in which uh, effectively he casts an unbelievable amount of shade onto, <laughs> onto Justinian uh, uh, after he dies, um, as an after, after Justinian dies. Um, you know, so one, one could argue, okay, maybe he didn't like him, but then be, maybe he's, you know, he wants to uh, kind of get in with the next guy coming in and be like, oh yeah, Justinian was the worst, you're great. <laughs> you know, um, lots of that going on in, uh, in Byzantine politics. Um, constantly yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um and obviously of course by byzantine we mean um you know the eastern roman empire uh after the uh the fall of rome in the um obviously that's that's the base of when rome falls but um you know gen generally from the late fifth uh, century ad mm. we will we will very much be talking about this in this episode so mm. um yeah Thank you for reading the lovely quote by Procopius. Your eyes turned red for a second there. I wasn't sure what happened. Or <laughs> well, purple, I should say. Um, yeah, so last episode we left off with the, um, the triumphal arch of Constantine. And of course, Constantine, a huge, huge figure in uh, kind of the, the flow of architecture, art, society in the West. Incredible uh, impact on on the world, really. Um, oh, huge, yes. But um, yeah, and also very. I, still, I never know whether to say Constantine or Constantine. I, I battle with it every single time I say the name. <laughs> um, I mean, we can look up the the Greek. Uh, oh no, no, no! He would have been. Um, I can't remember if he was Latin speaking or Greek speaking. Um, he was uh, he was of Serbian descent. No, his father was from uh, <laughs> from from, from uh, the, 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 yeah the, the territory of modern what is now Serbia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, uh, no. <laughs> so <laughs> um, yeah, but I can't remember if his family were Latin speaking or Greek speaking. Because, for instance, Justinian's family are. Um, are Latin, Latin speaking. Also, thereabouts in the Balkan region. Yeah, also, also from the Balkan region. Yeah, there's, there's lots of big figures from the Balkan region. Um, Diocletian as well, who we will mention a little bit. Yeah, um, uh, Belisarius as well. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Lovely, lovely, lovely fellas. Um, lovely folks. So yeah. I'm sure some people thought so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, just, uh, so Constantine, massively influential. And what part of the reason was his, his time... In place, obviously, uh, Christ of the third century had yes. just occurred. Um, you know, massive civil war as well, where he ousted the incumbent Roman emperor in Rome. Uh, the should we, should we briefly explain what the Christ of the third century was? Yeah, please, please do. Okay. <laughs> just, just quickly, because it is, it is used quite a lot in Roman history, but then sometimes it is not explained. But ba basically, um, uh, it's, it's it's kind of debated what what the crisis was. Um, but what it results in eventually is um, a really quick turnover of emperors 
And um, as well, you get a devaluation of the currency. Uh, obviously, you know, they don't use fiat currency like we do. You know, they don't use notes. They use literally, you know, this is a gold coin. This is a silver coin. However, you know, I might say, oh, here you go, Adrian. Here's uh, two gold coins. I mean, that would be a lot of money to give Adrian. But, but this well, is... Well, no, that's not true. <laughs> um, you know, here's, here's two gold coins. But actually, you know, it's, they're not fully gold. They're always alloyed with something else. Um, right. So what, what ends up happening is they start increasing the alloy mixture. So there's less and less precious metal in these coins. Because he has to pay the troops, right, as well. That's that's a large part of it as well. Yeah, yeah. That's, that is, that, I think that's generally accepted to be a big part of it, yeah. Um, and it ends in this climax of um, basically, I can't remember which emperor, but he then mandates how much things cost and in an effort to get out of this inflation problem. So he says, you know, whereas I might be paying... Uh, you know, like ten pounds for something at the market for Adrian, maybe like you know, like let's let's say a hundred apples, right? Like uh, <laughs> you know, something something like that. Obviously, this is not real world values, right? Um, right. So then he'll say, okay, no, that's too expensive, and the, you know, maybe next week it'll be a thousand pounds because the inflation. So therefore, I'm going to say it costs five pounds, and it always will cost five pounds. But what ends up happening is is that Adrian just doesn't send me the apples, basically, because he's like, well, I'm not going to make any money from this. That's the point. <laughs> so that, that is a huge disaster as well. Um, yeah, and it, it genuinely kind of disconnects the empire from itself as uh, the, uh, the single currency breaks down. And it's, it's an extension as well, isn't it? It's, it's centuries of war. And I think one thing to yeah, think about... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, recently, and all sorts of bad stuff. Absolutely. But also, like, it's kind of resolved through... Um, Diocletian's tetrarchy mm. and the splitting of yeah. Roman Empire into various sections, and um, mm. it's, it's governed by the, the Augustus and the Caesar, who are there's two different roles. One is a more senior emperor, one is a more junior emperor, presiding over that region, isn't it? So, in in this particular case, Constantine um, usurped essentially that system um, by killing uh, Maxentius of the Malvian Bridge, which is where we left over last time, isn't it? Um, and uh, essentially um, ending that kind of system, but also ending the crisis of the third century um, quite definitively. Um, however, the after-effects are still very much felt um, in Rome and in the Roman Empire. So um, we obviously have, um, with, with the rise of Constantine, we have this uh, shift into this thing called the Dominate, which is... The, the kind of new phase of the Roman Empire, where the, the emperor shifts from being the princeps or the, the first citizen um, into kind of this absolute autocratic ruler, um, less powers yeah, than the, the The clue's in the name, really, isn't it? <laughs> 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 the dominates. Yeah, it doesn't really need to be described. <laughs> it? Um, it does lead to some very interesting aesthetic mm. choices as well, where, um, and this is one of the theories for the, the rise in more manieristic kind of uh, art and architecture, where um, mm. there's a very famous kind of case study sculpture um, in Constantinople. So, of course, Constantinople, uh, named after Constantine the Great, um, who we've just been talking about here, he moves yeah. that to be the capital of Rome. Um, well, of, of the Roman Empire, yeah. Roman Empire, yeah. yeah. Um, and there's a there's a famous kind of statue there called the Statue of the Four Tetrarchs, which is, uh, we've just described the Tetrarchy, so the Tetrarchs were the four kind of ruling um, confusingly though because tetra always i think of three 
Um, true, true. I, yeah, yeah, that, that is quite confusing, isn't it? I don't know why it's called that actually. <laughs> um, um, I mean, just just to say quickly as well. So you know, one of the main reasons he moves it to Constantinople, so, you know, he founds this new city, more or less. I mean, there is a pre-existing settlement there called uh, Byzantium, yes. which then gives the name to Byzan- the Byzantine period or the Byzantine Empire later on. Um, the main reason he does that is because you know the main money-making areas of the empire are in the east. And also the location of Constantinople is uh, much more evenly in the middle between those rich areas and the less less rich, less stable areas in the West as well. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's kind of a it's a great place to found a city, isn't it? It's, yeah. <laughs> you know, on the Bosphorus, it's it's the kind of middle point between two large continental landmasses, yeah. isn't it? It's um, yeah, kind of a no-brainer. Rome is just in in the middle of this thing that sticks out of Europe, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's not on the sea. Um, it's quite marshy, yeah. um, Rome, and it's famously quite hard to defend as well. Mm. Um, the the uh, topography does not make it easy to defend, you know, which is one of the many reasons why it's it's sacked um, in, during the fall of the West Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 100%. So this, uh, this statue to the four tetrarchs was built... Uh, sculptors around that time around 300 AD um, mm-hmm. somewhere thereabouts it's obviously unsure exactly when but it's um, it's quite mannerist already in its form and kind of um, kind of description of uh, human form it, it's not like a very veristic you know approach where the anatomy and everything is is accurate the pose is already but quite stiff um, the proportions are weird the head's big the eyes are already really big um, you know, the, the four emperors are holding their swords, kind of reminding mm. people about the, you know, the power they hold. And mm. it's made of porphyry, 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 porphyry. <laughs> um, <laughs> very expensive around material as well. And it's kind of a purplish hue, which uh, is very reminiscent of the kind of cult of purple being this powerful color. Um, very yeah, purple, yeah. Absolutely. And this was actually put in the Philadelphia, which is a public square in Constantinople. Mm. So people would always see this and they'd be reminded of the kind of the majesty of the emperor and the empress, really. Um, was sacked by Venice in the Fourth Crusade, which is when they went buck wild and just messed yeah. everything up. Um, so it's now, I think, in it's Venice. Not, not, not the best time to be in Constantinople <laughs> for the Fourth Crusade. I think that's that's in the early 13th century, isn't it? So yeah, it's, it's about a thousand years from after you know what we're talking about right now. But, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is notable though because they do very bad. Love a little, a little, uh, little, little uh, booty from from there about. Um, oh yeah, massively, yeah, massively. But uh, like you know, given this kind of sculpture, which you know is already quite mannerist in its style. If you compare it to what we expect to think of when we think of, um, you know, Roman sculpture, very kind of anatomically complex, you know, even ancient Greek sculpture, um, you know, you have the contrapposto, you have the twisting of forms, anatomy very accurate, um, down to minuscule, you know, forearm muscles and stuff. Um, And here we already have something very manneristic. And one of the theories behind this is because of the dominate and because of the kind of power structure that's, you know, come about because of the crisis of the third century as well. Money's a bit scarcer. Rome is falling. It's, you know, eclipsing. Um, the art style becomes more, more um, manneristic. It becomes more essential to what the message it tries to portray is. It's less about the beauty of the body and more about the message behind the body. You know, mm-hmm. it, it transcends kind of the, the, the flesh, you know, in that sense. And 
that's like a that's a motif that we see um, applied to pretty much every aspect of art in that period, especially architecture as well. Um, do, you, do you think it's about kind of um, you know, particularly where before Christianity, you know, if you're an emperor, you could be deified after death, but now that doesn't that option doesn't exist anymore, and you're in this new dominate system. Do you, do you think it's an attempt to almost visually deify? Or um, maybe maybe if I switch from a but it's kind of to visually show the uh, the importance of the emperor in a more visual, obvious way. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I mean, yeah. definitely, I'm sure that would be an aspect of it. I think as well because of the rise of Christianity, and by this point, it's it's a flood, right? Like Diocletian tried to kind of stamp yeah. it out, it didn't work. Julian as well. Well, that's later, isn't it? But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but by by this point already, we have you know a huge amount of. Christianity already pervading mm. through Roman society. And I think part of that is also like a way to show that, you know, okay, you know, compensating really mm. for, for the lack of, you know, deification by this point, you know, the emperor is the absolute ruler, but it's, he's still not, you know, you know, he's not as great as God, which is the new belief. So yeah. there's a way to kind of compensate for that and make him seem more impressive and more idealized. I think, um, you could make that argument, I, um, you know. <laughs> um. I mean, there's there's another cool thing as well, which is um, personally, I I think it's an emulation, at least in part, of styles from the Sassanid Empire to the east, um, which again use very manneristic um, sculptures to particularly to, to you know to signify their rulers. So something they do quite a lot, which has been happening. Uh, for thousands, thousands of years previously, is you know the the emperor, the king, is always bigger than everyone else in any imagery. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like, he's always kind of oversized. You know, his head is always like kind of a bit too big, and um, and you know he's all, they've always got like insane uh, muscles and things like that. You know that aren't humanly possible. <laughs> yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. I think. I think it's. Uh, it's interesting that you would bring that back, actually, because we, we definitely see an intermingling of resources and uh, inspiration from from around this area. Um, and I think, I'm sure, there is an influence there, especially given the location of its um, creation, or at least it's the place that it's been displayed. Um, definitely seems like it could have been the case. Um, so obviously, with um, this kind of change in the climate, um, we also have the rise of Christianity. So this is really where we begin this really episode. This is yeah. the rise of early Christian art, because I think there's so much there that really um, changes the way we think of architecture in mm. the West, but also in, in the Mediterranean. And, um, you know, across the third century, so architecture is no longer the priority. You know, there's no need to create these elaborate forums um, because, you know, they have better, bigger fish to fry, really. So, um, you know, the, the materials used, I think the only real big project during this time was the um, the Aurelian walls. Um, uh, yes. Yeah. So, but, you know, even then they reused bricks um, from earlier periods to create that. Mm. Um, and it's a defensive, you know, thing. Yeah. Um, the, the Servian walls um, built after the sack of Rome by Gallic tribes uh, as well. They, they imported you know, two fern stuff, but essentially it's, it's all quite, it says a lot if that's the, the big kind of endeavor there. Um, and so with Christianity, I think it gives us a clear cut turning point because essentially you've had this 
architectural tradition up to this point where you've established quite a lot. You started with the Greeks, you imported it into Rome. We talked about this the last episode, right? Yes. Um, and then now you, you clearly want to cut from that because, uh, you know, you don't want to be associated with pagan rituals and with paganism in general. So, yeah, so it's, a, it's a conscious break from the past, isn't it? At least, at least architecturally. Absolutely. But, but it's mm. also a functional break because the, mm. the way that we celebrate um, mass is different to the way we celebrate pagan rituals. You know, so many of yeah. these Roman or Greek temples were the ritual would happen outside with people. And so the facade itself had to be grand. It had to signify stuff. Mm. It had the friezes and the, the um, relief sculptures and stuff. The, the actual interior of most Roman and Greek temples were quite small, closed off. Not many people were allowed into the, the, uh, the cellar. Um, mm. And, you know, it, it wasn't a place where people would congregate inside. Whereas now we have this need to congregate inside because you had the mass. And by this point, by the 300s, we, we already start to have quite elaborate, um, you know, congregational rituals. We have uh, mm. various kind of uh, ways that the mass has become, become more formalized. Um, you know, you, you've had mass happening for hundreds of years at this point um, mm. in Rome for at least 100 years um, in communal houses. But now that it's become legalized through the Edict of Milan, you, you start to get um, and, you know, people debate whether Constantine was truly Catholic or, well, truly Christian <laughs> or not. Um, the, the fact is he was very um, proactive with his um, promotion of Christianity through um, his dedication to the arts, through his dedication to the architecture there. Um, an example is the the Lateran um, Palace, which became which was donated um, by Constantine uh, to create this, this grand kind of church. Um, but that's getting ahead of myself a little bit because essentially what they discovered by having congregations inside a building, um, it had to be you know a building that could hold people, and so one. Model that they found. Make sense. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably breaking it down too much. Um, I should get. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, so basically, uh, Romans had these buildings called basilica. Um, so the basilica and basilica is what we're very familiar with now. It's a word that we think of when we think of Christianity. Um, yes. It was by that point just a secular type of building, kind of a town hall type building. You had a court. You would have the emperor there. You would have administration, marketplaces. You would have you know, mm. like, a, like a town hall, basically. Yeah, it's, it's, it's where the emperor would sit to kind of decide, you know, say say he's turning up at, um, I don't know, let's, let's go for York. Say he's turning up at York, um, then called a Boricum, and then um, there's, you know, some, like, local farmer, and then he's like, oh, yeah, this guy slapped me. Um, <laughs> um, but he won't give me any kind of recompense for it. But then, you know, the emperor would have to sit there in, in this basilica, on this kind of, you know, this, uh, guess, not, not temporary throne. I think there's always a kind of a throne there, isn't yeah, there? For the judge, there's right? an apps. Yeah. So the, yes. it's like a place for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For the judge. But then it's, it's then put, uh, you know, the emperor then sits on that mm-hmm. and then hear stuff as he's visiting, which, uh, you know, sounds quite similar to say, uh, a bishop, uh, would do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. In a Christian context. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that is really that is the story of why they do go for this kind of building. Mm. It has a nave, you know, it has a, an apse or an apsis. Essentially, that's the bit where the altar would be in the traditional church. It's mm. kind of the head of the church, you know, um, quite literally kind of the head-shaped part of the church. Yeah. Um, that's exactly where the throne would be of the emperor. And, it, and we do have examples of that, which we'll talk about a little bit later, but we do have examples of that actively being the case in, uh, in Rome. And um, 
you also have this nave. So the nave is basically just the um, the middle of the church. Basically, it's the it's where people would stand or would sit. You'd have the mm-hmm. pews and whatever you'd have. Um, it would be flanked by um, piers or by columns, which would create the arcades, which would be on the side. Um, and so essentially that would be the, the basic makeup of a basilica, a secular basilica at the time. And it, like we, we, um, we look at churches now and they're very, um, they, they kind of have a long aspect to them, um, where the, the door is in the, the, um, the front. So on the West end, um, and, um, you, you walk in the long way basically towards the apes, but it would also be the case where you'd have it on the side. Uh, there wasn't a fixed picture, yeah. but in the case of Christianity, they solidified that um, for various reasons, actually. But one of it being, obviously, the Latin cross, so the the resemblance to a cross, um, the resemblance to a body as well, um, especially once they added a transept, which is the the separation between the apse and the nave, which um, also allowed for flow of traffic, because actually, in the transept, you would keep relics and various things like that. And so um, you'd have entryways in the transept, which would allow you to see the relics uh, without disturbing those that want to see mass in the nave, which is, I think, quite an interesting functional and, way. And are those, are those arched? So that, that basically is just, um, when you yeah. look at like a, a top-down view of a church, mm-hmm. that's the bit that's the, uh, the size of the cross, basically. Yeah. Um, so they, you would have arches, but you, you would have... Um, so with this basilica, you would have um, a... A tradiated ceiling. So basically, they would use um, like post and lintel. They would use wood wood beams yes. um, to build these things. Which is once again, it goes away from the pagan architecture of um, you know what, what we know t- today as Roman with the arches and stuff. They use wooden trusses. So, um, but the kind of entryway into the apse would have an arch. So that would kind of be the one place for the main arch structurally, but it, it wasn't mm-hmm. quite structural. But you'd be flanked by arches on either side. Yeah, so on the kind of solenade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you'd still very much have that. And actually... Yeah, um, I mean, you still have that today, don't you? In, um, in yeah, many, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's interesting because that is arch, you know. And um, in fact, so if we go on to the first kind of big case studies that I have prepared. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> um, if you look at something like the um, Church of St. Constanza, so this was built as a mausoleum for Constantine's daughter um, around 345 AD. Um, and it's essentially a round building. So you'd have a martyria. So a martyrium is a, a place where you, you, you'd bury um, a martyr or it's kind of like a mausoleum. Um, and so this church is sent to Constanza it's a round building, and it's quite reminiscent of Byzantine architecture later on, uh, to some degree, with the central kind of uh, dome there. But what you'll notice is that it has um, it's it's a round um, area flanked by uh, arches on each side, and the the arches are held up by um, composite columns, actually. So very advanced, um, detailed columns from late Roman um architecture still very it's much motive. it's lovely i mean <laughs> yeah it looks great i've just had a look it's very nice <laughs> <laughs> um looks so like a good time to me there are still aspects of that deep kind of roman tradition that we think of and obviously this is a surviving example but this you know doesn't doesn't even come close to what we have and oh of course yeah i mean you know in terms of what's what's lost yeah i'm sure there would have been um been many more yeah, yeah, and yeah, some examples. The, the biggest example of that and the best example of that 
is the mm. Church of Old St. Peter's. So yes. St. Peter's now, we know the Vatican, the home of Christ, uh, Catholicism uh, in the world. <clears throat> but uh, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just say quickly, if, if we do make any Freudian slits about, <laughs> about, about mixing up uh, Christianity with uh, Catholicism, uh, please please forgive us. It's uh, <laughs> that both of us went to... Um, uh, Catholic, Catholic school. <laughs> in this so. case, I do mean Catholicism because yeah, it, isn't, sure. it isn't the home of Christianity, though, is it? That's the point. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Catholicism. <laughs> yeah, it is a fair disclaimer because I think I will make that mistake as we. Yeah, so please, please forgive us. You know, it's not, it's not intentional. As we consume more intoxicants. <laughs> yes. Um, so the Church of Old St. Peter's is the original church where um, they built this kind of huge, grand uh, church. And it was a project set upon by Constantine um, to grant Christians a place of worship. He wanted it to be really grand and ornate. Um, and it's built on top of uh, the Circus of Nero. So St. Peter was crucified upside down. Um, yes. And he, it was very close to where the um, Circus the, of Nero was. The story is because he, he didn't think he was worthy to be done the same way as, yeah. as Jesus, right? Very cool, very cool story. Um, yeah, t totally. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? And um, this is also outside the kind of city walls of Rome as well, the original city walls, um, which is one of the reasons why it hasn't survived, actually. Um, the necropolis, though, for the church is still there today. It's actually underneath the Vatican. Um, it's pretty much underneath where um, the current St. Peter's Church, um, you know, you have the, the crossing in the middle with the huge... Bernini kind of sculpture with the Solomonic uh, columns. So like the the thing you think of when you think of St. Peter's, that, that bit in the middle, um, basically that kind of square thing with the canopy on the middle, that would be on top of where the um, St. Peter was thought to be buried, actually, um, today. Um, and in fact, we have some uh, Solomonic arches, uh, Solomonic columns, actually, oh, that still um, survive today in the current St. Peter's. Uh, that we use in the original St. Peter's. This, oh, I, I, I didn't know that. So they, they reclaimed them? Yes, yeah, so they, they were thought to be from, uh, claimed to be from Solomon's Temple uh, from like 10th century BC, okay. uh, the original one. <laughs> um, hence the name Solomonic yeah. Columns. But you, you'll recognize them really clearly because they're, you know, columns are uh, um, essentially straight. I mean, they, they do have a yeah. bulge to them, emphasis, but they're essentially straight cylinders, right? With, you know, uh, to some degree. Solomonic ones are kind of like a curled, kind of like an ice cream um, shape. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah which which um, is, comes out in a very big way in the Renaissance as well. They, yeah, they yeah, 100%. Um, <laughs> and so th those were used, but it's just an example of how lavish uh, the original uh, Old St. Peter's was. So um, Charlemagne in 200 was crowned emperor of the Hurry Empire, Empire there. Mm -hmm. Um it would have been able to house about three to 4,000 worshippers at one time, wow, yeah. which is huge. And the building itself, I really recommend listeners to have a look at the plan or, or reproductions of this because the, the scale of it is really hard to, mm. to, to put across through, through words. It's a huge building. You have various aspects of it. So you have a kind of an entryway and then you have um, a, kind of a, a courtyard where you have a fountain. Beyond that, you have the church, which is... Um, you know, it has a nave, it has aisles. It does have like a, a wooden truss ceiling, which is unfortunate, mm -hmm. but then, you know, it still has the nave. It also has... Um, I, I love how you said that was unfortunate. <laughs> 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 it's 
Um, <laughs> very very architecture purist of you. <laughs> so, you know, I think there's a, there's a quote from Nero where he says, uh, I think, is it, oh, I can't remember if it's one of the fires or something. And he says something like, oh, good. I'm glad this fire has happened because now I can rebuild in marble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you do remind me of that sometimes. The, uh, <laughs> the uh, what the Aula, Aula, um, I can't remember what it was called now. The Golden House, right? That he was building. Yes. Cool. Like, I saw the, um, the, among uh, other things, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, how can, how uh, how lucky for him that the Roman burns, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, I guess from his perspective, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this building was huge, and so mm. you know you have uh, essentially three. It's uh, three hundred fifty feet long, mm-hmm. which is about one hundred and ten meters, um, which is you know huge. Um, built in the shape of a Latin cross, mm. um, and um, so, so, i.e., it looks like a cross, not not like it. Well, it looks like a, yeah. a long cross, right? Not a short cross. Yeah. And it's good to yeah. delineate that because there is a Greek cross, which we'll talk about yes. later. But this is the Latin cross, so it's longer, longer top, shorter side, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, stood over a hundred feet tall at the center, so very large wow. still, okay. thirty meters ish. Plenty of frescoes. <laughs> Um, mosaics. There's a really notable, uh, notable one of um, Saint Peter uh, on like a, a boat, <laughs> mm-hmm. Makes sense, um, <laughs> and it which shows the apostle walking on water, basically, and it's beautiful, massive kind of uh, depiction of him. You know, real notable works of art there. Um, mm. And so the the building itself was a huge monument to Christianity, set out by Constantine uh, for that exact reason, and it would contain, of course, the, the place where he would have been thought to die um mm. and um yeah huge structure i very much recommend looking this up um but you'll notice of course the lack of the you know the gabled roof the wooden trust roof mm-hmm. um we start to lose already the tradition rome of creating uh you know vaulted ceilings barrel vaults in that way um very much does become the de facto way of constructing basilica which is with uh kind of flat roofs Mm. Um, especially in Western Rome. So, you know, you contrast this with something like the Basilica of Maxentius, which, you know, <laughs> Maxentius is the guy that uh, Constantine usurped, essentially. Yeah, 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 they, yeah, yeah. They renamed the Basilica of Maxentius to be the Basilica of Constantine. <laughs> oh, um, so there was no rebranding going on. because <laughs> yeah, I think it was in the middle of production as the, the switch happened. Oh, okay. I mean, that's, that's like... Um... It's like Boris Johnson uh, taking credit for the Olympics, isn't it? Like, <laughs> <laughs> <you know? laughs> or, uh, or, even, or, or even the Boris folks as well. Um, mm. uh, you know, which is both policy We also killed on the uh, the bridge. Yeah, the of London Bridge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, this this basilica was mm. almost like a. Um, like a bath, like a thermite, like a bathhouse where you'd have enormous uh, vaulted ceilings, you know, mm. um, with with kind of a patterned uh, ceiling. So like Baths of Caracalla had these kind of uh, inserted kind of uh, octagonal forms within the arch itself. Yeah, they are incredible, aren't they? Yeah. Beautiful, elaborate works of mm. architecture. Um, so it looks like a, you know, like a frigidarium uh, of the bathhouse. Uh, mm. This actually was the place where we have the colossal statue of Constantine. So... Just, um, I mean, just, just to so, so the frigidarium is, is the cold part of the bath, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So that's like yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you know, so you, you have your hot bath, 
and then you know you're you know sickled down by a um a plague unfortunately and then um then you go into the cold bit uh, to close all your pores basically yeah yeah i mean they knew how to relax didn't they i like uh <laughs> <laughs> well i mean yeah i get, I get yeah the, the the people you know the people going there not not the people working there i guess yeah <laughs> Um, and yeah, obviously the, the scale would help with, with that as well, isn't it? Mm. Kind of the scale of the building itself. Um, but it would be the, the large part of the hall. Um, and you know, this, this colossal statue of Constantine, I think is really funny because it's huge. Mm-hmm. And you're already there and you start to see actually over the weekend did a painting of this because that's quite... What is it? Oh, wow. <laughs> actually did of that, of the remaining kind of bust of the statue. And mm-hmm. already then the eyes look like anime eyes. You know, I was, I was painting oh, they're, it. They're pretty big, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, it looks like I messed up the painting. Like, I mean, <laughs> I'm the master, so I did a little bit, but it, it really looks like I completely have no understanding of how humans look. Eyes like anime eyes. Um, I mean, do, do you think perspective is part of it if you're viewing it from below? Yeah, perspective is definitely part yeah. of it as well. Um, and we see that throughout the Renaissance, we see the Roman sculpture. Mm. Yeah, of course. Um, especially with a sculpture that big. I think it was something like 40 feet tall or something. I, don't know. I mean, so there's, there's something I remember from... Um, you know, so I have to do... Uh, kind of... <laughs> gallery hanging occasionally uh for, for, for my day job and so something that happens a lot is um so when you frame a, pa- a picture for instance right and then you want a white border around it so the white border at the bottom has to be bigger than the white border at the top because people are viewing it normally from slightly below the midpoint so therefore it needs to to make sure your eyes don't play this kind of optical illusion trick on you um to make it look even it has to be uneven (laughs) (laughs) yeah definitely perspective is is crazy Uh, yeah we could we could talk about that for ages as well actually but that's 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 another episode i guess (laughs) definitely yeah i actually wanted to write a book on the history of perspective at one point oh wow uh, you see it a lot though with um with uh early renaissance painting as well in the national gallery here we have i did Mm. like a, a thing about perspective in early renaissance late medieval art and like mm. you can tell really the way the the painting is placed can affect yeah. so much the way it's oh yeah hugely hugely yeah because it has a vanishing point right and if the vanishing yeah. point matches yours it's so much better than if it doesn't I, i'm sure that's the reason as well for this but it also does sort of show um you know you you don't really have as much of this kind of mm. uh distortion of the face in more early roman depictions of emperors mm. and so i think it does start to show where the tides are turning in terms of the mannerism of art. And so if we look at a um, another basilica, and this is a really good one because it's been, I think it's the best preserved basilica, basilica that we have. Um, it's actually in Trier in Germany. Um, and it's um, the the place where I think his father would have held courts basically as the the emperor there. So it's the, called the Aula Palatina. So by basilica, you mean... A, a pre-Christian basilica in this context. Yeah, so that's that's an actual okay. basilica by by secular yeah. Roman nature. So that's yes. that's where um, uh, yeah, Constantine's father would have would have had his throne um, as head of the kind of Western. Although well, now it is a church. <laughs> now it's a church. Yeah, yeah. But it's, yeah. it's quite it's very typical of what happens. Yes, it's a grim-looking church, isn't it? It's really bare, just bricks. I don't know. I quite like it. Um... <laughs> I mean. It's, I don't know, it just looks very industrial to me, like something that you'd see in kind of... It's functional. 
It's very functional. Yeah. Well, I think it's beautiful, though, in, in, a, in a cool way. I mean, this, I, I like brutalism, so, you know. <laughs> I so, like brutalism, but I don't like bricks. That's, that's my, yeah, yeah, my hang-up. But <laughs> luckily for me, actually, this building would have not looked like this when, uh, when it was functional. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Unluckily for you. <laughs> I, I, I don't mind. I mean, it, it's the format I, I like. The, um, but actually, the reason why it's so well preserved is because it was converted into a church um, early on. Mm. It actually was part of a larger structure. It just stands alone now, but it would have been mm. part of a larger uh, palatial structure. But it's made of bricks, um, which have <laughs> since been, uh, you know, whitewashed. So the walls would have been uh, lined with marble all the way to the upper row of windows. Um, and the floor was laid out with also like black and white marble. So plenty of like a grand kind of palatial appearance to it. Um, there's even like perspective illusions where the, the windows get closer together um, towards the apse so that it looks larger than it actually is, which we mentioned. Oh, yeah. Super cool. Um, you know, and it would have also been um, painted. You'd have golden leaves. Um, you'd have, you know, painting all over the walls and stuff. So plenty of detail far beyond what we see today, which is just brick walls, uh, very stark kind of appearance. Um, and this, of course, was a basilica, so where the courts were held, um, and the apse that we see there. So where we now see the altar would have been where the um, the emperor would have been sitting. So mm. it already kind of when, sets when, when he was visiting, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but, but yeah. it sets us up really well for like um, you know, if you're a Christian at this point, mm. it couldn't be a better way for you to adapt this building into like a, a church. I mean, building. I mean, effectively, you know, uh, it's the it's the um, the adaptation of something that's a kind of very civic, mm. very very civic functional building for a religious purpose. So it's it's almost like the, uh, I mean, obviously they didn't have a concept of secularism, you know, even even before we to do it. This is very visibly and architecturally the the, the merger of the uh, the spiritual um, world and the the temporal the temporal world in the Roman Empire yeah that's a really good point yeah. absolutely and I think that sums up kind of the way that the ties turn in that sense as well isn't it because we mm. really start to see less separation of that if there ever was one mm. uh, in general especially with this new um, you know aspect that you mentioned before with the deification of the emperor and now there's a, a bigger god really um, above the <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, but very interesting seeing this I think and you know, the fact that it's so well preserved because it's a really good example of, I mean, you know, it looks like a church if you look at it now. It, it, it looks like a quite a bare church, but it, it looks like a church, which is crazy to me because, mm, yeah. you know, it wasn't a church when it was built. Yeah, yeah, exactly. um, but as you can see, the the only real arch there is the kind of the, the gateway into the apse, which is where the emperor would have been. And it's also, you know, in the windows and the exterior a little bit, but mm. um, very much... Uh, you know, the ceiling isn't barrel vaulted. The ceiling is a kind of flat timbered ceiling, um, which, you know, takes us away from the arch. And to take this now a little bit further, um, we we start to go into the east a little bit. So oh. the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is where, you know, so in Jerusalem, obviously. Yeah, in Jerusalem. Yeah. So Constantine commissioned his mother, Helena, uh, to actually find a place of Jesus' tomb <laughs> in Jerusalem. 
And um, I mean, that's, that's, that's incredibly funny. Yeah, you could write a book about it. Like, it's, like giving, it's almost like giving her busy work or something. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, like she's retired. <laughs> she's retired or something. She's a bit bored. Like, why didn't you go find where Jesus is buried? It would have been <laughs> funny if it was like his mother-in-law or something, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's quite sweet in a way, but I mean, you know. Yeah. Well, she's also a saint, Saint uh, Yeah, yeah famously, yeah. I mean, well, she's, she's in... Um, the contemporary church of St. Peter very prominently. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, fair play to her. She did a good yeah. job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, maybe. Um, but <laughs> yeah. so, so she did find it. That's the thing. Oh, of course. Yeah, yes. You know. yeah. Um, and so, to be fair as well, they, you know, Calvary, uh, which is where Jesus was crucified, we, we know that. Um, apparently on this, I mean, this is this sounds a little bit, Mm, but I don't know. It, it was found on the site. On, on the site, they found three crosses. Oh, okay. um, one of yeah. which cured a man when he came into contact with it. Oh, all right, yeah. Um, you know. So, um, but it, it, the, the place of it used to be a, uh, a temple to Jupiter or Venus, uh, filled in by Hadrian. So okay. there's already a, a foundation there. Um, but the reason I mentioned this church, beyond the, the obvious Christian um mention of it is that it's a really interesting uh striation between the eastern and the western mm-hmm. um kind of philosophy towards architecture because this church contains both round kind of domed structure as well as a basilica structure and really this synthesis is not seen as often and it clearly becomes the west-east divide in architecture because essentially you have um you have the the, the place where Jesus was uh, crucified, right? Um, and you, you have kind of the, the tomb where he was buried. And so the difference is basically the martyrium, which you mentioned before, the place where mm. somebody is buried. It's a, in, in Rome as well, is a round building with a dome. Um, and that would have been where Jesus' tomb would have been, the uh, edicule. Uh, so it's like a rotunda building, basically. Yes, yeah. Um, and this still survives. You know, you, you can still look this up. It's it's where the tomb of Jesus is said to be, and it's cut into the structure of a cliff face. Um, whereas the um, the crucifixion point is set in the basilica in the corner of the basilica, mm. and so you you basically have this basilica that leads into this um, martyrium, and so a you know Latin cross, Western style mm. building leading into around domed Eastern Star building. Um, and I think what's really interesting about that is how clearly there was a divide there. And, um, you know, it's not it's not necessarily a logical succession of that's why and that's why. I, I don't think that's the case. Sure. I mean, um, I mean, I guess, you know, one possibility and um, it's, it's still quite a, um, you know, there's all sorts of, of things that go on there, for instance, so that I think that, that's the church where, it's you know each part of it is assigned to a different branch of Christianity. Um, so there'll be a section where you have the Syriac Orthodox uh, Church, and they'll they'll be like in that bit, and they will have their own chapel there. And then there'll also be the you know the Catholic Church, and they'll have their own chapel. And then there'll be the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, they'll have their own chapel. So I think because because of its um, you know importance as this this uh, kind of central site in you know. The uh, the sacrifice, you know, within Christianity, you know, for the sacrifice of Jesus, you know, to to save uh, everyone from their, you know, the original sin and and their own sins, right? Um, that it would be very hard to control that in a way, right? So that maybe maybe that explains why 
architecturally it's a bit crazy yeah yeah i think that's a really good point uh, clearly mm. like people will have different expectations of how that should look and i think mm. appeasing all kind of sides of the the argument there definitely helps with and, that. And, i mean fa- famously now for instance uh, so I, I think the keys to it are held um yeah. by this by this muslim family for uh for centuries and centuries and centuries because uh, only they are trusted not to be biased <laughs> to, to, to any, any sect or, or a particular group. <laughs> That's right, isn't it? That, that is very funny. <laughs> it's problem solving. That is problem solving. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's where we are with this. Mm. And uh, this brings us quite neatly into uh, the Eastern uh, the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. the uh, Sassanid Empire, um, where I know you have, yes, yeah. I mean, I'm, so, so before we jump into that, shall we, just have, shall we have a quick break and then sure. we'll come back and get, and get into that? Sounds good. <laughs> cool. <laughs> cool. Bam. <laughs> of course, I mean the Bam Citadel. So the Bam, the Bam Citadel, <laughs> um, is in Bam, uh, currently in Iran, and. Um, it's the largest adobe structure in the world and uh, has numerous arches. Now, it was built originally during the Achaemenid period. So by that, I mean the, uh, the 6th century BC up until the 4th century BC. Um, and if you look at it, so... So what is it called exactly? It's called the Bam Citadel. Bam or, Citadel. Or in Persian... Um, I mean, please, uh, for our Persian-speaking listeners, please forgive my pronunciation. Um, the Argibam. Um, ah, beautiful. Yeah. So, uh, unfortunately, it was it was mostly destroyed in an earthquake in two thousand three. You can see the before and after images online. Uh, before it looks looks lovely, um, you know, like fully functional, and then afterwards, it's basically wrecked. Uh, but they are rebuilding it, luckily. So I think it's still under reconstruction currently. Um, but originally, uh, it's an Akamina building. Um, and one issue with it is because it's it's Adobe, it's much harder to work out what's original and what isn't. And obviously, now everything obviously won't be original. Uh, however, they're, they're rebuilding it as faithfully as they can. Um, when you say Adobe, what do you mean by that? Because I'm not familiar with that as well, actually. So, yeah, so it's... Um, it's it's basically full of mud brick, effectively. Ah, okay, okay, okay. But it's, it's similar to what the um, the the Grand Mosque in Timbuktu is made of. Okay. As well, um, yeah. Obviously, it's a place you know with very little rainfall um, on, on the Iranian plateau. Um, you know, quite a dry climate, so therefore you can quite easily make stuff out of mud brick. Um, and not, you know, basically just, it's just set in the sun. You don't have to worry about like torrential downpours, washing it all away. Right. Of course. Um, cause they, cause they don't happen often. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's very, very functional, very easy to build stuff. Um, and obviously, you know, it's to build a citadel out of it. You might think, oh, mud's like, well, you know, that's not very strong, is it? But, but obviously, right. Um, as, as happens throughout military history, earthworks are, are play a huge role. Uh, because if you, you know, maybe like, you know, um, 
meter for meter or centimeter for centimeter, it's not the strongest material, but if you pack enough of it and you can very cheaply, right? Um, like, you know, you, you much, you can easily get, um, like 20 meter thick gatehouses made of, wow. of mud brick. Yeah. Like insanely thick oh right? Com- compared to maybe five or, or 10 meter made of stone. Right. And then if something hits that, it's not really going to do anything. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. The, the mass. I imagine as well, like the, almost like the, the dispersion of force as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, so fam- famously, um, the Babylonian walls are, are all mud brick as well. Um, but inc- incredibly thick um, by um, you know c- compared to stone walls, um, say in Greece at the time. That's crazy. Yeah, very cool. It's so, a very stark building, isn't it? It's somewhat res- reminiscent, almost of the um, uh, kind of like mm-hmm. kind of brick uh, fortifications that we see. Oh yeah, 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 exactly. Well, I mean, a brick, brick, brick is just another kind of mud brick, isn't it? Basically, <laughs> um, it's massive yeah. too. The scale of it is huge. Yeah, it's, it's you know, pulling, uh, it's it's a huge, huge um, structure. You know, the, the largest of mud brick in the world, um, uh, and you know, it's it's easy, relatively easy to build in that material. Um, Plenty of uh, pointed arches too. Yeah, exactly. So, so what I was going to say about the arches, right, is obviously because it's because it's been added to over time, and this this is something that um, does always come up with uh, when you're looking at architecture from uh, from history. Is you know, like say for example, you go to uh, this happens quite a lot in England, particularly um, if you go to a church, and it will say, okay, this church was founded in the 11th century, right? Um, but then you look at the church and you go, okay, that's that's Victorian, that's Victorian. Yeah, yeah. That's Victorian. It's yeah. so frustrating. <laughs> yeah, it happens, it happens a lot, right? Um, and then you're actually looking at, okay, so like this part of the tower, of the, the church tower, maybe is original, right? Um, um, so but again, with this, it's hard to say what's original, what isn't, and what flourishes do they put in, i.e. what arches do they put in right. over time? Um, but the, the first example I found of those pointed arches I'll get onto a little later. Um, so second of all, so I'm, I'm doing a chronological list basically of, <laughs> of, of, of stuff, that, stuff that I found in, um, um, from pretty much from Turkey, you know, modern day Turkey, uh, in the West to, uh, the East of Iran, uh, in the East and then South to Egypt as well. Um, yeah. So, then also there's a uh, Seleucia Piera, which is the, the port city of Antioch. Oh. So that has, um, so that was founded in 300, uh, sorry, 300 BC, um, by one of the Diodoko, one of the generals of Alexander the Great, uh, Seleucus Nicator, uh, meaning Seleucus the Victor. And, uh, there you have lots and lots of rock cut architecture. Oh Yeah. And too, don't you? you have yeah, to- lots of rock cut columns. Yeah, which um, you know, very reminiscent of Petra mm-hmm. to the south in, in modern day Jordan. Um, but something I I thought was really interesting with that is if you actually look at the side of the rock cut arches, um, they are very very reminiscent of much later uh, Byzantine and then later Arab examples. Yeah. So, I mean, how, I mean, obviously I don't have the intellectual, sorry, not the, the intellectual, I, I, didn't, I, 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 didn't, I didn't have the architectural language to, to describe, describe the arch agent. So if, if you, would you be able to describe how, what, what kind of arch that um, is? So the image, 
well, <laughs> um, yeah. the I also don't have the architectural uh, wherewithal, but I, I can I can describe it a little bit. I think it's um, the images that I'm seeing are quite weathered, so it seems like the the stone is deteriorated quite a lot in the time yeah. it's been built. But there are clear capitals there, so clear um, kind of tops of the columns there clearly seem to be um, decorated in some way. That there is a distinction between the column itself, the shaft of the column, and the capital. Um, it also seems to be springing off um, kind of cornices um, in a semicircular arch connecting um, the arches, connecting the, the piers together. It's difficult to say what the actual detail was there, but it clearly seems like there was quite a lot of detail. Um, even beyond its weathered kind of um, look at the moment, definitely. And then it seemed like recessed spheres. It, mm. it looks beyond just a, a niche, isn't it? It looks like a, a full sphere that's been carved into the yeah. stone, which is really interesting. I've not seen much of that anywhere, really. Um, yeah, really yeah, they, they, they love rock cut stuff, <laughs> um, <laughs> particularly around um, Antioch and the Seleucia Piera. Um, there's a lot of it. I mean, so later on in the same area, you have the Church of St. George um, in Antioch, which is, again, is rock cut. Um, Check it out. But essentially, this tradition of carving into stone. Exactly, uh, which yeah. I mentioned in the first episode as well, isn't it? With um, some examples uh, in modern day India um, yeah. with the kind of uh, meditation um, areas. Very, very interesting. It's also such a difficult craft, isn't it? To... Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, huge, huge, yeah. Um, I'll just correct myself. It's the Church of St. Peter, sorry, in, in Antioch. Ah. Um, yeah, which is so you have this mixture of uh, having stone blocks um, for the entranceway, and then the interior is purely rock cut. Beautiful and quite naturalistic in a lot of ways as well. And it's almost like you have Rosetta windows that you have like rose windows. Yes, exactly. Yeah, um, from a very early point. I mean, that's that's like a, a really early example of uh, yeah something like that. So this, I mean, again, this church is uh, is I think is believed to be from the fourth century. Um, AD, and then th that Rosetta win uh, window, you know, comes in in quite a big way later on in, um, you know, say in Maya de Basid and um, other architectural styles um, in in the Middle East much later on. Um, yep. So, and then also, you know, there's also Petra, of course. So, I mean, obviously, Petra is famous for it's very classical mm. style of columns. However, there are arches. So. <laughs> And in, in, interestingly, so obviously, you know, many people don't know, but the, the structures of Petra are tombs. You know, they, they weren't designed as functional buildings in that way. And the grander building, sorry, the grander tombs even, are, um, um, are for the, uh, are in the more classical style. And the tombs for maybe people who were less wealthy, uh, less grand, they are arched you know, in a kind of like cellar vault kind of style. Uh. Right. Um, so there's there's like kind of a hierarchy there with. Um, oh yeah, well massively. I mean, they're literally below the grander ones as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As, as well as being, you know, not as like kind of impressive architecturally. Um, they're much smaller. Um, uh, yeah. So Petra is is built by the uh, Hellenized Nabataeans in about you know the third century 
BC. Um, that's right. I mean, this this is a wonder of the world, isn't it? I think officially. That's. I mean, you're, that's a big feature on the uh, the Jordanian tourist board. <laughs> but, 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 yeah, it's the eighth, eighth wonder of the world. Yeah, is up there a lot. Yeah, uh, its architecture is really interesting as well. Just just by virtue of its the the triangular kind of portico. The the oh yeah yeah. It's you know you can you can clearly see you know they've tried to um, to make. A, you know, a classical kind of Hellenistic style building mm. in rock, basically. Um, yeah, absolutely. yeah, I, 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 I love it. I've, I've been twice. I would highly recommend. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and all the all the people there are very nice as well. Um, so, um, yeah, so so you know, by, when I when I use the term Hellenized, what I mean by that is um, basically it's a form of um you know it's it's used in the same way as say the word americanized is right so you know if someone is americanized i.e they are adopting facets of american culture um and have you know it's implied an admiration for that culture and want to emulate it in certain ways right so by hellenized i mean you know that for greek culture uh at, at this time right yeah um yeah so then you've also got so so in this same kind of era You've also got the Ptolemaic complex at Philae in southern Egypt. Right, so this is very close to, mod- to modern uh, Lake Nasser, uh, which obviously was only formed after the creation of the Aswan Dam in the, in the um, mid-20th century. Um, and traditionally, when we think of traditional Egyptian architecture, we, we don't think of uh, arches in the, the kind of arched sense. We think of them being quite rectangular or um, quite having lots of straight lines, maybe with bulging columns at the sides. Mm. Um, however, but what happens a lot in this period, you know, where you have the conquest of Alexandria and then all these, these mixed mixing of, uh, various, uh, cultures and architectural styles and, um, and, uh, even, even gods, even, you know, gods, gods intermix and everything, um, as well, uh, is you also, you also have a lot of architectural change and architectural, um, um, fusion pretty much basically. So uh, at the at the complex at Philae, there are a lot of arches, basically. Um, you know, in a that look very similar to, um, say, for example, the ones that are in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, or in more kind of simple buildings in the Eastern Roman Empire in, uh, say, the, the fifth and the sixth centuries uh, AD. So um, what what I've generally found the kind of early examples of things that are to come later. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much right. So therefore, what that implies is that. Um, they were going right the way through up until the time mm. where they then become what we understand to be common, but, just by the nature of, of, of what survived. Yeah, sorry. And also, you know, yeah. with the um, the columns here exhibited in this, um, there is for, an argument for, uh, for, for feli. Feli, yeah, yeah, the um, kind of springing, uh, kind of plant-like uh, capitals yeah. of the columns there. Early uh, ancestor of the Corinthian type column, isn't it? As well, where you have oh, true, true, yeah. uh, kind of plants coming out from the bottom, holding mm. up the the top of the capital. There, very very cool, very interesting, and yeah, it's a very cool building. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, famously, there's lots of amazing architecture in um, in Egypt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and um, you know, lucky, lucky for them, you know, uh, they built it out of stone, so a lot of it does survive, which is one of the reasons why it's so famous. Mm. Um, yeah. So then, also, you've got um, 
the uh, so again, this is another another Persian um, name that I'm going to attempt not to butcher. Um, <laughs> um, if, if I do, please let me know. So, um, so the Kale Doctor in um, so that's in the Parthian style, and by Parthian I mean uh, from the period after the Seleucid Empire. So that's in the uh, from the well, in, in Iran, which, which that's where this is, it's it's come um, goes from the uh, kind of late third century BC, so about the two hundred and twenties BC, um, up until about um, the two hundred AD period. Right. So it's a kind of well, in Iran, it's it's a kind of a solid four hundred years. So um, yeah, so it's it's got a big dome. Um, what is it, it called again? Sorry. It's the Calais Doctor, so it's uh, in, in English, it's transliterated as Q-A-L, apostrophe E-H, space D-O-K-H-T-O-O-R. Right, 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 right. That's great. Yeah, just so listeners can follow along as well with the... Uh... Of course. <laughs> yeah, with, with, with my butchery of Persian. Yeah. No, not at all, man. Uh, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that, again, there... So, the Parthian style is typified by uh, having that earlier fusion of um, Hellenistic style architecture and then that mixing with local style. So obviously in Ephili, it mixed with Egyptian architecture because um, it's in Egypt. And then here in Iran, it's mixed with uh, Iranian building techniques and architecture as well. So you get all, all sorts of very, very interesting fusions um, that come up during this period. Um, too. Like, are they? Yeah, it looks like it's brick as well, right? Yeah, it's it's brick again. Yeah, yeah, and obviously that reflects the building material that's available there. So you know, one of the reasons why in Egypt stone is used a lot is because they have a lot of stone, and then um, in um, uh, particularly in Mesopotamia, uh, one of the reasons why mud mud brick is used a lot is because there isn't much stone. However, there's two rivers and there's lots of mud. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so, yeah. you know, so, so even though you know, save the Nile again, you know, big river, lots of mud, lots of alluvial uh, mud for people to build stuff from. Um, they also have quite a lot of stone as well. Um, yeah, uh, and then Iran again, quite a lot of, uh, of mud brick as well. Um, yeah. So then. Also, you know, this is kind of like a whistle, whistle stop tour of, of, uh, of various, various arches. Um, <laughs> I, 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 custom, yeah, I custom, I custom at least in like a kind of a 400 year period. Um, but then you've got one, uh, an example I thought was particularly interesting was that Hatra, uh, which again was founded by the Seleucids and is currently in uh, Nineveh governorate in, um, in northern Iraq. Um, so I believe that's the same governor that Mosul is in. Um, Beautiful, yeah. This is very classical, yeah. isn't it? It is very classical. However, you'll notice, uh, listeners at home and Adrian, that, um, <laughs> that there are um, uh, you do get this this these inclusion of arches where you wouldn't normally in mm-hmm. um, in you know classical buildings. So, for instance, you know they they might have be have a columned kind of exterior, but there's also kind of an arch entranceway. Yeah. It's, it's uh, in quite, the, quite the, the pediment, like the, there's an actual arch inside the pediment, which is really exactly cool. yeah. yeah. So the pediment is a triangular bit that you see mm. in the front, um, and just 
very clearly to clarify that as well. Like you normally have that as a triangle, you have usually a sculptural relief within there. Um, here we have a an arch within the very center of the pediment um, that's being held up by columns, which is really interesting. Actually, we do see stuff like this in the Renaissance quite a lot. Uh, Serlian arches, point, yeah. actually, yeah. but um, this seems like a very early example of that. It's beautiful building as well, actually. So I mean, so that was founded in about 300 BC, um, and then became became a Roman city before then being sacked uh, by the Sassanids in um, about the 240s. Um, so it was it was a city that was around for about 500 years. Wow. Um, yeah, but you know, beginning in 300 BC. Uh, so the same period as the Luca Piera. Um, what I'm seeing as well, there's plenty yeah. of uh, use. So yeah. this uh, the image that I'm seeing here. Is this mm -hmm. the, the entrance to the, the city itself, or is it like a um, the gate? So the, the bit with the actual arch of the pediment, is that? Oh, yeah. Because um, I'm, I'm seeing other images here as well of uh, arches where um, it seems like even just for niches uh, within the wall itself, plenty of arches actually, quite large. There's a lot of arches, yeah. also <laughs> kind of uh, columns too, like huge, looks like, um, I don't know, if yeah. at all. I mean, so you here you definitely have a fusion of, um, uh, you know, of kind of classical Roman and uh, Hel Hel um, Hellenistic architecture, but then also these kind of big grand arches. For me personally, I I think those particularly typify um, kind of ancient Mesopotamian and then um, into Sasanian architecture, um, you know, which is kind of uh, the best example of which is the Arch of Tessaphon, you know, which is this, this huge kind of internal arch um inside this building but yeah i mean you see so your question was what is it um i mean i i would presume it's a a, uh, a temple complex i mean it looks like a temple to me looks like yeah 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 um but beautiful i mean really with with the kind of doorway entry as well we don't have a roof there but um yeah i imagine that's also in a similar classical style but Really, really, um, and I'm a sucker for the stone look. Like you'll, you'll hear me. I want to talk about this a little bit later on about you know Syrian architecture as well, where the stone just looks so much better than bricks, man. I mean, you know, <laughs> like, um, I'm a sucker for it. But also these column capitals too. They're kind of Corinthian, but kind of not. You've got like the the proportions are a bit different. The um, the general columns they kind of they bulge a little bit too much at the top um, compared to, to Greek style. Um, really interesting, man. Uh, yeah, can imagine. Yeah, I mean, you can definitely tell there's a fusion going on there architecturally. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and then you've also got the... Um, uh, so relating to... to kind of come full circle, relating to the BAM Citadel, uh, you know where I talked about these, <laughs> where I talked about these uh, these pointed arches, right? Um, so the earliest kind of attestable example of that um, that I've, I've been able to find is the um, the Dali Glebin um, caravanserai that was built in about 240 AD. Um, so that's uh, let me just let me just spell how, it out. how do you spell that? Uh, uh, let me just spell it out. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So it's a it's a D A Y R. Oh. Hyphen E. Space G A C H I N. 
Right. Gotcha. gotcha. Right. And that's that's a caravanserai. And and by that, you know, obviously that's not a word you hear often in English. Um, but what that means effectively is it's pretty much like a, an inn um for people who are in caravans and like, you know, obviously I don't mean like a holiday home. By, by that, you know, like a, a kind of like a rubbish holiday in, um, yeah. um, I don't know, like, well, I, I, should, I shouldn't say rubbish, but it's, it's, not, it's, not my, it's not my idea of a good time, basically, right? but I, lots of people have a good time going caravan. Um, but um, yeah, by caravan in this context, I mean like a trade caravan, i.e. It's, it's a group of people, normally with camels uh, and other pack animals that are moving um quite large distances um, for trade purposes, basically. You know, they, they've, they're taking a good from one area to another area to sell it for profit, basically. And these caravans rides are uh, built, normally built by the state. So this one is built by the first Assyrian emperor um, of this year, uh, first. And um, it's a way for the government to uh, promote trade, basically, by making sure that there are these state uh run protected and provisioned uh caravans rides for people to stay right right i mean it's a huge it's a huge open space isn't it yeah it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty big obviously you need a big open space for the camels right so like yeah. you know and you want to make sure that you know that that's your camel that's not someone else's camel there's not going to be any <laughs> arguments like you know because obviously you know if you're if you're coming back with silk from china and this other guy has just got, I don't know, some nonsense on his camel. And then he, he's going to be like, oh, yeah, the silk one's mine. Like, you know, you want to you make sure that, you know, that's <laughs> Yeah, and you need quite a large area for that. Yeah, camels do take up quite a lot of space. They are, they are huge. Um, but it's, it's cool seeing as well, like, there are... Within the structure, there are little offshoot areas and there's interior places. Yeah, they're, they're very... I mean, so they, they, I think the... Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to hazard a guess when the first one was built, but they're, they're normally um, associated initially with the uh, the Achaemenid Empire as a means of... Because that's such a large geographical area from Turkey to um, the Ganges River, basically. Um, that you need to have... Uh, a method for communicating across such a large distance and also for trading over a large distance uh, and for facilitating that trade, right? So they, these, they really do become an art form. Um, and, then, and then are later on picked up by the Mongols and, and various empires. Oh, right. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. It's made, I mean, the Mongols would love this kind of thing. They're just kind of... Yeah, like, no, they, were, they were big fans of, um, big fans of caravans, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm also uh, noticing a lot of brickwork too. Um, which yeah, I mean, so again, that's teeth. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's again, you know, so this this again is in Iran, so um, that's that's they were local building materials, um, very practical, and you know, lots of pointed arches. So that's the first pointed arch I've managed to find. So that's from 240 AD. Lovely. Um, right, you know, obviously we think of the pointed arch to be associated with um, kind of early. Arab and Islamic architecture from the uh, the seventh um, and eighth centuries, right up until the modern day. That's that's the first example that I've uh, I've managed to find um, there. Yeah, so that, I mean that's that's uh, that's my those, those, those that's what that's what I found. Uh, <laughs> Lovely stuff, man. I mean, obviously there are more, you know, uh, you know. Um, of course, yeah. Um, I'm I'm very aware that. Uh, I think we're both actually increasingly aware that, you know, we've both tried to, you know, through our topics, tried to 
pick incredibly specific things, you know. So we've done we're, we're about three hours into talking about arches over the two episodes. Here. And and yet it can never be a complete history. No, and and in fact, there's so much we're having to admit. Like there's so much that we want. To oh yeah, there's loads. Yeah. <laughs> um, but fascinating. I mean, me, I'm still captivated by the the Hatra um, example you gave. Really beautiful building. I, I really, it is very nice. <laughs> yeah, it really speaks to me. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm 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 a big fan of uh, you know of kind of architectural fusion in that period. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, uh, and yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of it doesn't survive. So, particularly in Mesopotamia, where it was um, it was made of mud brick, uh, a lot of it doesn't survive. Um, but, but where it does survive, it is very fascinating. Absolutely. Um, so, speaking of of kind of extremism, there, I do have mm-hmm. a good example of that from uh, Syria, actually, as well. So, um, you will yeah. forgive my pronunciation of this because it'll be much worse than anything. Uh, okay. You've probably heard. Um, this is this is Arabic you're doing now. The Kalat Siman. Uh, I'm, I I don't even attempt to do it correctly. Okay. It's the Church <laughs> of Saint Simeon Stylites um, from 480 to 490 um, AD, but it's essentially a um, Assyrian cross martyrian. So this is a sensational building. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> um, 80 meters by 90 meters, and you essentially have like four basilica meeting in the middle where you have an octagonal kind of dome structure um, and you have Corinthian columns, you have richly decorated cornices. Hell yeah. Beautiful building. I mean, it's, and you know, you have plenty of uh, arches as well, kind of similar to, to a hat train. You can't move for arches really. I mean, there's, there's a lot of arches. (laughs) (laughs) But similar to hat in the sense where you have, um, you have arches that are, below kind of triangular pediment, kind of the tops of the pediment yeah. without the, yeah, the, the architraves or the, the bottom of the pediment. Um, and, you know, Corinthian style columns, beautiful building. And once again, made from stone as well, which I think always looks better. Um, but um, really beautiful uh, style of architecture there with the apes as well. And um, it's, a, it's a Christian church, but mm. um, beautifully decorated. Uh, with a similar style to what we mentioned earlier. Um, so let's jump ahead a little bit to um, the man of the man of the quote earlier, Justinian. Um, <laughs> so Justinian takes things a little bit further, I think, than Constantine in the sense where... Kind of, kind of every way, right? <laughs> he abolishes the Senate and the consuls. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so... Direct quote: "The will of the emperor is the law." <laughs> um, um, definitely a um, like a, a, a version of uh, Louis the Fourteenth. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, the, the time war. You know, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Then um, the reconquest of Belisarius of Italy, North Africa, kind of a, a resurgence in mm. Roman kind of sentiment there. Yes. Um, but also land reform. So it's kind of a beginning of feudalism in the sense where colonized people couldn't travel. Uh, Roman citizens had more rights than those that were under yeah. rule. Well, well, I mean, you know, um, feudalism in, in, uh, in the Eastern Empire anyway. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, you, you had the, the, the dukes, the governor, yeah. essentially, yeah. Um, who, would, who would afford you some rights, who would look after you, give you an allowance and stuff. It's similar, more similar to serfdom than it was to, mm. to slavery, but it was still... You know, um, an unfair deal. <laughs> um, yeah, 
Um, it's, I mean, it's not a good time, really, is it? <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> But of course, under Justin Yin, you also had some good times. So, <laughs> <laughs> Depending who you are. <laughs> um, so of course, Justin Yin um, famously is the, um, the 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 emperor under which we had the Hagia Sophia. So the yeah. um, the the written Hagia Sophia, which uh, <laughs> I'm taking very much care not to pronounce. Um, it's kind of the royal chapel associated with the palace. And so mm. always a sign of grandeur, a sign of imperial authority. Um, in, in the way we've described earlier where, you know, uh, uh, venerance for, for God uh, in the Christian sense becomes an extension of venerance for the emperor. And so um, in the uh, Nica revolt of uh, 532. Oh, the, the, the Nica riots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, <laughs> like, chariot well, hooligans uh very funny <laughs> i, <laughs> I mean, think that... it's, it's it's something that um you know like we in britain i think have this kind of innate, innate understanding of you know, <laughs> you know i mean ba- basically um it's where um you know there's these two factions the the greens and the blues um you know imagine like Millwall, west ham in terms of, of football, <laughs> football yep versions of Rangers, Rangers and Celtic, right? You know, they both normally hate each other, right? Um, you know, all sorts of things like murdering each other in um, in taverns, uh, you know, like burning each other's houses down, like mad, mad stuff, right? Um, uh, bribery so the other team loses, like all this kind of stuff. And they, um, they end up hating Justinian so much that, um, you know, for various reasons, uh, but basically, they they gang up on him like together. They they unite, like, <laughs> they to, unite. to take him down. Right? So I don't know if you can imagine that. You know, like you know, Rangers and Celtic teaming up to to take down Liz Truss or something. I mean, that's <laughs> <laughs> we need that to happen. That's, just, that's kind that. of ridiculous. Kind of stuff, you know? <laughs> um, just to kind of you know, just imagine that image. Uh, and um, he is, you know, obviously as he would be, but like, oh God, like, you know, that I'm a bit, you know, I'm a bit worried about this. That's not the best thing that could have happened to me today. Um, cause you know, it's, so they're all in the hippodrome and that's, that's like, you know, tens and tens of thousands of people. And, uh, basically, you know, they, I think he has to feed the hippodrome and then he, he hides in the palace. Um, and you know, he's thinking about leaving, um, for good kind of exiling himself from Constantinople. Um, but then of course, uh, while they're burning down Constantinople, you know, doing the equivalent of like setting fire to cars and, <laughs> you know, like stealing traffic cones and like just going for like full mental, basically. Um, his wife, Theodora says, no, you can't run. Um, I'm paraphrasing here. There is a very good quote. It's a baller moment though. It's, it's a really cool moment. Yeah. And then she's like, no, basically you have to kill them all. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, that's that's what ends up happening, really, and they get uh, Belisarius and um, and a couple other generals to um, to go in and uh, uh, perform very violent uh, right police operations. Basically, I mean, how has there not been a film about this situation about yeah, true, Theodore true. in general? I mean, it's begging <laughs> for an adaptation there. It's, um... <laughs> um... Sorry, yes, yes, so that was meant to introduce. No, yeah, no, absolutely. So they they burn down the old chapel, basically. Mm. Um, yeah, they, they burn a lot down. Yeah, <laughs> and um, and so they rebuilt what is now the, the most grand kind of example of Byzantine architecture 
that we still have to this day, which is fascinating. Yeah, it's incredible. To talk about the Hagia Sophia in detail would require a whole episode. Probably. But but it's, it's a monumental structure, massive. Apparently, it costs the equivalent of 130 million pounds as of 1986. So I, I don't know what the conversion rate is, but with inflation, that's a lot higher today. <laughs> if you keep talking, I can have a look. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> like a remarkable amount of money went into this. And, um, you know, they, they essentially innovated in so many ways, but it, it's, it sets the benchmark for Byzantine architecture um, as kind of a global kind of architectural style. And, um, of course, the the main thing that separates it from its predecessors is the use of the pendentive. And so, uh, essentially, it's turning a square base into a circular dome without turning the circle into a uh, constituent kind of part, basically. So, um, you mentioned earlier, Sammy. Um, yeah, sorry, I was, I was looking at how much that was. So. <laughs> the, the Palace of Ardashir. Um, yeah, I, I did. Yes, yeah. So, so this is actually the earliest example of a um, squinch, basically. And so, a squinch. What's, what's a squinch? It's a gross-sounding word, actually. But it doesn't sound very good. No, it's when you turn a. Got the word moist. It doesn't. It doesn't yeah, sound it's it's a gross word, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's essentially when you turn um, kind of a square base into a uh, into a dome, but it's <laughs> basically you do it by turning it into you, you essentially subdivide the geometry. So. From turning it into a square, you subdivide it, and then those parts become the foundation for the dome. It it um it turns the the corner into an arch, basically, mm-hmm. and that arch is used as the foundation. But it, it means that you have more arches than you need. Whereas this is a really bad explanation. You, you can you can never have too many arches, surely. <laughs> it's a really bad explanation. Um, you will have to look up photos of this, listeners, because it's really okay, difficult. Okay. It's the, the palace of other shit, okay. But a, a pendentive, that's the word you need to look up. Um, essentially, what you do is you turn the square base into a dome by using the arch of the square, so the, the square kind of crossing that you turn into the into the dome. So you're talking mathematically here, basically. It, it's a geometry thing, yeah. But it's... Yeah. It, it warrants some description because it's it's something that's really innovative about the yeah, 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 cool. is that it basically in effect it looks like the dome is supporting itself it looks like it's suspended mm. in the air and in fact we have a quote here from Procopius a friend of the show mentioned yeah. earlier <laughs> show. and um, here's a quote from Procopius so the use of domes supporting domes on the sides creating eye beam hang on a minute that's not a quote from <laughs> That's a good point. Well, that doesn't sound like him. Yeah, that's too too scientific. Um, <laughs> essentially, actually, we don't have a quote from Procopius. That's okay. That's fine. Um, I mean, we've got plenty of answers to that. <laughs> I'm more than make up for it. <laughs> but the the quote that should have been there but has been omitted from my notes as of the reading. Uh, essentially, he talks about how it's it's suspended in the air and how yeah. it kind of defies belief. Um, in its suspension there because the weight and the, the, the size of the dome itself um, kind of blows blows your mind when you look at it compared to kind of the lack of, you know, uh, yeah. things holding it up, basically. And these pedentives is a huge game changer in that. Um, and it's a it's a fundamental fundamental kind of uh, cornerstone in 
Byzantine architecture in creating that dome structure. And so we mentioned earlier kind of the Latin cross as well. Um, yeah. We also have the Greek cross. And so the Greek cross is essentially a squashed version of that where the focus is really on the dome in the middle. And um, obviously with the Hagia Sophia, we have a huge dome in the middle. And, um, you know, there's also uh, an argument that I read somewhere online where the use of the <clears throat> kind of geometric forms uh, to compose the Hagia Sophia, where they avoid irrational numbers, for example. Um, and Always they, have to avoid irrational numbers. <laughs> and it's a purely very geometric uh, mm-hmm. shape. In any case, um, you know, the, the point is that it's a, it's a cascading form of domes and spheres and, and um, arches. And I mean, I'm not, I've not been lucky enough to go see it in person myself yet, but uh, I very much look forward to the day that I do because, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a spiritual experience for sure to step inside there where you have, you know, mosaics, you have the lights. And, and also one thing about Byzantine architecture is that because of the, the um, semicircular arches that they use, mm-hmm the domes that they use. Um, the walls have to be quite thick and they have to support the, um, the domes themselves. Obviously with pendentives, it helps a lot, but even in that case, um, you have cascading kind of domes and spheres that yes. um, build up the structure. Yeah, it's, it's dome upon dome upon dome, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's beautiful actually, yeah. um, but um, it's a structural purpose as well. And so, mm. of course, you have, um, because of that kind of, you know, the structure doesn't permit light necessarily to get through as much as it would. Mm. So the yes. building itself is quite dark. Um, but it's it's been um, used in a very clever way in which the, the kind of the interior lighting situation, and, you know, we mentioned earlier before the exterior being kind of the flesh, which um, contains the soul within, you know, the, the ethereal kind of yes. uh, diaphanous soul within. And, you know, that being the, the most important part of the architecture, um, you know, as well as in philosophy or in, in Christianity being the important part of the, the spirit, you know. So mm. that's also used as a way in which to show that because the, the interior is richly decorated with, you know, gold and marble and you have uh, obviously mosaics and hanging lanterns and, and you know, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, obviously with the light playing or, you know, moving around as it does, creates flickering in the in the gold and all the mosaic structure as well within and it's a you know it's a beautiful uh, experience and um you know i saw an argument made online about how the difference also between the western and the eastern thoughts probably not at that stage but probably did develop as time went on is the kind of individualized sense of religion within the east compared to the more centralized version with the west where you had the bishop and the deacon um kind of convening but also kind of telling you more um that mm. the kind of dome shaped um sphere that uh you know it's, it's a round surface kind of symbolizes a um kind of like a, like a communion yeah and also yeah. <laughs> the pentenders themselves you know they form a triangular kind of shape um reminiscent of the trinity that we you know yes of course with uh you know religion so beautiful kind of use of architecture there but also beautiful use of engineering to to hold up such a building oh definitely it's one of the most beautiful buildings in the world isn't it absolutely also one thing as well we we do think of the Hagia Sophia as like having a brick exterior but actually (coughs) 
it was uh, covered in marble on the outside as well. Mm. This is the point that I tried to look into a lot. I found very difficult. Yes, yeah, I mean, you, you did a lot of research on them. Um, a lot of research on <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, Really difficult to find any evidence of this, but, uh, you know, in Rome, brickwork was used as a kind of a base um, on, upon which, you know, you, you'd place marble or, you know, stucco yeah. or whatever it would be, um, something to create on top kind of a carcass of concrete and brickwork. But, um, you know, I found it difficult to find any sources that show that would be the same in Byzantine architecture, which mm. I'm sure would have been the case. Uh, we do have an account of the Hagia Sophia being covered in marble and it kind of shining in the sun. Um, <clears throat> so as you come into Constantinople, I think there's a there's a um, quote by a Varangengard or maybe a Russian um, oh, yeah. Yeah. ruler of some kind uh, kind of being... You know, I mean, I mean, they, they were always blown away. By yeah, they always were. Yeah, but for the <laughs> you know? first time seeing it would have been, you know, glistening in the sun. I think they they said it was like heaven and earth. Yeah, um, yes. <laughs> I mean, there's a there's a lot of uh, written about how um, you know the Viking concept of uh, of Asgard is is based on uh, Constantinople in a lot of ways. Really? It being shining and you know this kind of amazing place and uh, every, everything you could ever want is there and you know all that, all that kind of stuff <laughs> um yeah no rightfully so i mean <laughs> um beautiful beautiful building and um we, we you know we don't know what it looked like originally because it's been going through a bunch of changes in its history but yeah of course, um you know, from a from a church to a to a mosque to a museum, and then back to a mosque again. Back to a mosque with Erdogan, isn't it? So, um, we do have, for example, the um, Haya, the Aya Irene, so the the Saint Irene yes. Church, which is actually the first completed church in Constantinople before the Aya Sophia. Oh. Um, uh, the reason why it survives is because it was used as a arsenal for storing weapons. <laughs> Um, <laughs> which, if you know anything about the Parthenon, is uh, is a bad. Yes, yeah, <laughs> it didn't work so well for the Parthenon, no, I suppose. Surprise, then, yes. I guess, I guess there were also no um, uh, enterprising lords from England. Um, that came. <laughs> yeah, they were lucky so, to um, to have a look. <laughs> maybe, maybe take a few souvenirs. Yeah. Just a few souvenirs, man. Nothing yeah. wrong with that, you know. Just a memento. Well, <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm, just, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure lots of people would, uh, would say something wrong with them. Yeah, no, of course. Um, but um, we have an example there of, as well of like a very early uh, Byzantine building, um, similar with the kind of cascading uh, forms emanating from the the central kind of spherical, or in this case, more cylindrical. Uh, center but where, where it gets really interesting with byzantine architecture is actually when we look at the uh, italian kind of examples the reason for this of course because the um the byzantine empire they had the uh, iconoclasm so uh, it was a gradual process in which we <laughs> we in which they decided that it was heretical to pick jesus and to pick the lord and even in symbolic terms um, it was seen as heretical. So, I mean, it's a fascinating movement, isn't it? It's, uh, I mean, um, there's a lot written about how um, it's, you know, this kind of like proto um, Protestantism in some ways. Um, there's a lot written about how also, you know, it's it's influenced by 
um, you know, some Islamic scholars and their their um, uh, beliefs in, in the depiction of um, of various figures in um, in holy texts mm. as well. Um, so. Yeah, but it's. It, but, I mean, you, but, uh, what I presume you're going to say is that it, you know, it, it resulted in a lot of um, um, whitewashing and uh, taking down of of particularly grand uh, internal ornament, ornamentation in various churches in the east. Yeah, absolutely, and you know, it's it's a shame from an aesthetic point of view, um, you know, from a historical point of view, um, yeah. to not know ever what these buildings would have looked like. Mm. Because um, I suspect that must have happened on a, on a you know, such a scale where you know I I, I do still know oh, yeah. that it was the, huge. Yeah, yeah. you know the the extent of which we see these Byzantine buildings, it's uh, very much diminished by what we can see today. But um, luckily for us in, in Italy, for example, it was less the case, and obviously with the kind of reconquista of uh, of the Western kind of Roman uh, territories under Justinian. Um, we managed to have a larger spread uh, in Italy, for example, so Ravenna, which would have been the capital of Rome at that point. Yes, yeah. So, so I think the um, you know, weirdly was the capital of the Western Empire, the last capital of the Western Roman Empire. You know, um, so Rome wasn't the capital when it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah weird, so weird, no, no, weirdly, yeah. I guess it was too big and too indefensible. <laughs> and too, and <laughs> um, but. Um, yeah, I mean, under under who who is the last uh, the Augustulus Romulus Augustulus? No, which is the most ironic name for the, uh, the last Western <laughs> yeah, Emperor. It's it <laughs> yeah, very very ironic. Yeah, um, but we we have some really good examples of uh, surviving Byzantine churches in Italy because of this, and so under the Justinian as well. So San Apollinare in Classe. So for example, we have um, this church, which is a Byzantine building built in five four nine. Uh, and Justinian, beautiful rounded uh, apes there as well, with uh, somewhat kind of Corinthian or you know, I love it. Post Corinthian columns, um, still very much a basilica type structure there, mm. um, with the kind of wooden truss ceiling. Um, but you can see the the Eastern influence there with the the mosaics, the beautifully painted uh, ceiling, and the walls are beautifully decorated. So you start to see some. Um, kind of ridged edges on the arches there as well. Um, but the, the dome itself is beautifully painted, very well preserved as well for its time. And I think the best example we have of this is San Vitale. So um, oh, that's, I love San Vitale. I mean, it's a beautiful uh, building, isn't I'm, it? Uh, I'm planning a trip to Ravenna just to, just to go see that kind of <laughs> way. Like, take a flight to Ravenna in, like, go see the San Vitale out by, like, you know, I'd be <laughs> happy with that. <laughs> podcast recording yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean the the mosaics of uh, Justinian Theodora very interesting as well you've got Belisarius in there as well he's depicted almost like a deity isn't it with the with the halo oh, yeah. around him definitely yeah. um, I mean, he's, he's literally where um, <laughs> uh, where Jesus would normally be isn't he <laughs> yeah it's in the middle with his apostles yeah. right you know the, <laughs> yeah true yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's uh, funky. But, you know. <laughs> uh, he looks he looks badass. He looks pretty cool. I'm sure that was the idea. <laughs> <laughs> Some things never do change, do they? No, yeah. Um, but yeah, beautifully painted um, and beautifully uh, placed mosaics as well. 
Uh, Jesus has a clean-shaven beard as well, which is interesting. That's quite yeah, that's rare. Very weird. Very weird, yeah. For for you know general Christian kind of mm. iconography. Um, also, you have flying buttresses, which is really interesting because it's uh, a <laughs> technical innovation from... I know, I know that's a favourite of yours. <laughs> yeah, interesting, because we still have those here in San Vitale, which is not what I expected to see. Um, but um, we obviously have them in the Hagia Sophia as well. Um, they're much kind of thicker, and they're less decorated than in the Gothic style, but they are very much still there. But also it's very centralised, um, kind of rotunda-like, uh, composition of the church and um, yeah it's a beautiful example of how Byzantine churches probably would have looked um, mm. I can only imagine they would have been as grand if not grander in Constantinople oh, yeah. so, you know that's a safe thing to say mm. um, but you know just going off by how grand we should, the church is. Well, we should just say as well so iconicism I believe occurred mostly in the in the 8th century yeah it was it was it was kind of a a difference yeah. in the Eastern and Western philosophy towards Christianity as well, because yes. in the West it didn't happen because the Pope was basically like, "We're not doing this." <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, so again, date-wise, you know, if you think about, um, uh, so you know, is Islam coming out of Arabia in um, kind of the late seventh century, mm. and then this iconoclasm having happening in kind of the early eighth century? There's a there's quite a clear kind of um link of ideas there in in terms of um uh you know this this concept of not not depicting the holy in the in human form absolutely yeah because people would get cheekier and cheekier with it and it's essentially you know there's that <laughs> um there is a clear lineage there isn't there there's, there's a clear um link there um, oh, but it leads us really well onto um islamic architecture actually which, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so we've we've talked about kind of fifth, sixth. So, so we just have a have a quick break. Sure, sure. <laughs> good idea. <laughs> Sounds yeah. good. <laughs> you thought it was over. It's actually over. Or nearly, for we must do an outro. Like the Council of Nikea before us, we have decided to continue another day. Yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> we have. <laughs> so basically, um, yeah, uh, we've got a lot more to say about arches. More, more. <laughs> More than we thought, and um, you know, we haven't even touched Gothic yet. So um, uh, yeah, we've we've looked through our notes just in this little break, and we've realised we're like there's, there's, a, there's a lot more to do. So yeah. much left to get through. Yeah. Um, yeah, but as, as you were saying earlier, um, you know, because because our our intention behind uh, this podcast is to uh, do a deep dive into something incredibly specific, and. Um, but try and do it as completely as we can. We've realised that even doing something as you know, kind of uh, specific as arches, um, <laughs> you you can't do that in probably less, you know a complete history, probably less than ten episodes. But don't worry, because uh, for those of you that um, uh, that aren't the most enamoured with arches, uh, and obviously those, unfortunately, those people do exist. Um, the, what we're thinking of doing after uh, after this final episode of Arches, as in episode three, 
which will be the next episode, um, is the thing of doing various things like, uh, for instance, uh, the history of uh, the battleship Yamato, um, yes. the, you know, the largest battleship ever built. Um, also, the history of tables. Uh, <laughs> much, much it always receives a laugh, but it's it's uh, it's been. I'm very excited to do it. And <laughs> the history of tables. Um, it's your postcards. <laughs> uh, yeah, the history of uh, lamps uh, and you know various other fun things. Um, yeah, so that's that's a, a few other ideas we have as well as various like specific paintings and specific buildings um and uh specific events as well um yeah so we uh we hope you've enjoyed listening to uh arches part two we hope you enjoyed part one as well um what we'll be doing with uh we'll, we'll be referencing the images that we talked about today uh on our social media so that's uh we don't have the uh Sipping history pod, <laughs> sipping time podcast. There we go. <laughs> um, on Instagram and Twitter. Yes. Um, and we are setting it up as we speak. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, so that will be live by the time you listen to this. Um, yeah. And uh, we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. This is our third episode, uh, all in all. Uh, this is part two of Arches. And uh, we hope you're having as good a time as we are. Uh, and obviously, you know, drinking a whiskey while listening is highly recommended. <laughs> fireplace somewhere. Yeah, some, some kind of fireplace, whether it's, uh, whether it's the YouTube kind of background fireplace <laughs> yeah. um, or, uh, or an actual one, um, doesn't matter. Absolutely. As long as you're there for the vibes. and for the, Yeah, the exactly. exactly. Um, but yeah, it's been such an interesting subject that we, we really didn't want to have to condense it into... Um, a short kind of appendix. Yeah, yeah, we, we want to do everything justice. You know, that's that's kind of the point of why yeah, we want to do this. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think we have kind of learned that the scope of this even was too large. <laughs> yeah, even about this, yeah. we're not sipping time, are we? We're <laughs> very much gulping time. But I think yeah. <laughs> it's uh, given us some some uh, credence to think about the the scope of future episodes. And I think rabbit holes is what it's all about, and yes, finding the rabbit holes and definitely. jumping into them um freestyle is, is very much what we want to do so um Definitely. i mean so so even even um you know as as uh we we test out some um very specific episodes and things like you know particular ships or particular um uh pieces of design or uh furniture on which you place uh <laughs> and, and uh sometimes <laughs> uh laptops and things like that um yeah you know even as we do very 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 specific things like that obviously we're gonna have rabbit holes of like uh yeah but like you know there was this table that was made of rosewood but rosewood smells really nice so like what was it used for it's yeah bathroom. exactly that's really cool like oh but why and then yeah things like that <laughs> or um yeah when we talk about um uh you know uh the bus trip yeah so we'll we'll look at things like you know the political situation in um in japan at the time in the you know the kind of the um the mid 20th century um and um you know what came before then as well and what informed the the choices that led to that uh being created and um what actually happened to it and where is it now things like that yeah very much looking forward to that um and so we'll be back for part three yes um, looking forward to it <laughs> and that'll be the final part of this 
I'm fantasy on the... <laughs> Don't worry. I'm sure there'll be more. Yes. But, um, yeah, very much looking forward to diving into the last part on Yeah. Which I think we'll, we'll go up to the um, early Renaissance and then we'll yes. call it a day. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a shame that a tetrarchy means four um, because... Then we could do a te- we could do a tetrarchy. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe next week we'll decide to do a tetrarchy. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, no, fascinating as always. And thank you so much for listening. And um, yeah, I hope you've you've enjoyed this uh, third podcast of Sipping Time. Yeah. We're very excited to uh, bring it to you. And uh, yeah, it's 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 fun for us, and we hope it's as fun for you as well to listen. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Well, on that note, <laughs> <laughs> on that on that uh, keystone. Oh. Oh. <laughs> see, see you later. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs>
But I'm like, okay, cool, that's quite normal. And he's like, no, like I'm really into like doing like actually quite like murderously difficult stuff. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I'm like, yeah, like what do you mean? He's like, yeah, like you know, where you've got to do like twenty numbers like per box or something. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. And then he was like, what about you? And I was like, oh yeah, battleships. <laughs> he was like, what the game? I'm like, no, just the ships. <laughs> The actual ships. Yeah, the actual ships. Yeah, yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> uh, everyone is going to find something to, to <laughs> yeah, occupy exactly. their mind with. Exactly. <laughs> Here's the thing: when you get to um, a certain age, or um, or uh, you know, my uh, you know, my my wife is well, like, uh, when, whenever I watch my battleship stuff, or uh, you know, I've watched there's a lot of content or read anything. Uh, yeah, she's like all all men are at a certain age just get really into the war. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like they just get obsessed by the war. <laughs> you know, but no, it's just just the battleship for me. Thank you. <laughs> you just want to hear about the engine. You don't you don't care about the war. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't want to hear about the war. Yeah, I just want to hear about <laughs> you skip those parts. You're like, <laughs> yeah, I ignore that. Yeah. Actually, the thing I, I really like about it um, is I always like try and find images of what. Like the admiral or the captain's quarters would have looked like. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's way worse than you think, though. Like it's <laughs> not mad. It's just, yeah, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. They, they have a little drinks cabinet and like uh, they've got a nice bed. Like <laughs> they, they always have um, as well. They always have like a, literally like a manservant as well. <laughs> so like, he'll like wake them up in the morning and oh, like, that's cute that's cute <laughs> like being like an aristocrat but like on a boat <laughs> like that you know is built to like receive very heavy fire <laughs> it's very weird <laughs> I was watching like a documentary on um, the Golden Hinds which I think oh yeah yeah, which is time, isn't it? yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy like <laughs> the, the interpersonal relationship there was Mm. Way more interesting. How many on it? Like forty people, fifty people. I think like eighty people. Are. Eighty people, and it's probably. I mean, the room I'm in is probably maybe about twice. <laughs> I mean, uh, probably, I think. I mean, how how big is the room you're in? Maybe ten. What in terms of length? Maybe, maybe eight. Like eight meters. Five. Eight, eight by eight. It's quite a square room. Yeah, but it's, it's not got a pendentive on top, so it's. Uh... <laughs> I mean, I think the Golden Hind is about sixteen, if that, you know, sixteen yeah. long, and then what? There's three decks. <laughs> uh, I don't know how many decks there are, but it's it's pretty bad. I mean, yeah, it's <laughs> tiny. The captain's quarters were like tiny as well. Yeah, they're yeah. small, but at least he's got privacy. <laughs> yeah, but it's like... you know, compared to everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> and the meals they would have, but also like the whole drama about like. Um, Thomas Doughty being like his close friend, but also he's accused of being like a witch, you know, and he's like oh, yeah. shifting into a bear. And I was like, on the like, boat, oh, on yeah. the boat, yeah. But also, like, he he has a concurrent. Well, you, that, surely you would notice, though, wouldn't you? Like, if, if you're if you're in that kind of position, like people you know, notice. That's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I love it. Like people just what, go crazy at sea. Like, what do they do with him? They he executed him, but they had like a on, final on the boat. No, in in I think in Patrick, like on the Argentinian uh, coast. Okay. They um they had like a final dinner together, and in <laughs> my mind, it's like um because they were good friends. Apparently, like it was quite a jolly <laughs> affair, the dinner, and they they sat. In my mind, it's like kind of a kind of a two thousand one space odyssey thing, or like you know at the end where it's kind of like a the food was lit up and you know, okay. um they're sitting at the beach with like a 
a table with you know <laughs> like cloth on it and they're talking about how good life is and stuff and then in my mind you know and they're mm. talking about all these kind of things and he's like right well it reminds me of the, the Shakespeare the Tempest a bit as well yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like right well the meal is over now and then uh, he's like oh yeah you're right and then he just puts his head on the block you know and then <laughs> the guy but actually it is the case yeah. that he he kills him uh, so um Francis Drake kills Thomas Doughty. His friends. Don't quote me on that, but um, <laughs> he, killed, he executes him. I mean, it's also a case where the uh, the captain is, becomes like a a sovereign at sea. Um, yeah, yeah. It's kind of the, the law of the land. It's, it's a case yeah. where uh, the precedent is actually set. Um, and Francis Drake didn't know when he came back to Elizabethan England. He wasn't sure even if Elizabeth was still the queen because hmm. he was gone for, I think, three years. And, oh, wow. Um, he had no knowledge of... You know, he was sent as a privateer on a, a secret mission, yeah. really. Um, yeah, to, to, to uh, basically next up. To the point where even, like, his crew thought they were going on a diplomatic mission to Alexandria. <laughs> and he was actually, <laughs> was, like, navigating. <laughs> I mean, they thought they were just going to, um, like... I mean, were they press gang at that time, or? I mean, <laughs> yeah, probably, like, I mean, it might be, like... I mean, for people that don't know what press gang is... <laughs> It's one of the most like, oh, like the worst hangovers you could possibly have. So, like, <laughs> I mean, just like you know, imagine you're, you know, you're going for a night out with your friends in like Plymouth, like on the south coast of England, and you're like, yeah, like I'm going to celebrate Dave's birthday, <laughs> and you know, you'll get really drunk. You know, like some people leave, they peel off as the night goes on. You're like, I'm going to stay because it's Dave's birthday, and I'm a good friend. And um, basically, these guys come up to you like, oh, yeah, do you want a drink? You're already really drunk. So you're like, sure, I'll have a drink. And then um, they just get you wasted. And then you wake up on a boat and you're about five miles off the coast. And like, that's it. Like, you're not, yeah, you're, you're not, you're not going to see your family for like, you know, well, if you're going on a diplomatic mission, then maybe a few months. But then, <laughs> but then it isn't, is it? So, you know, I guess it's three years. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if they were press ganged or not, but in any case, they were, they were shook when they heard that. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, no one is having a good time. Yeah. They end up going to like the uh, west of west of uh, California, kind of mm, yeah. like the Spanish kind of ships, uh, pillage the uh, the Cacafuego, um, mm. <laughs> which I think was like 14 tons of, uh, of booty they ended up getting, which is, oh, I nice. think it took them something like six days to, to unload everything. Really? Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, a long time, a long time. And um but then he was like, Yeah, but we're getting chased by other guys now. How are we gonna get back? Like <laughs> Yeah, especially with the stuff on the boat, yeah. And they go through they go, they carry on going west into um you know the, the Malacca's and stuff mm-hmm. and um like spices and stuff. Well, and then around the Cape of Good Hope, around Africa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And back into England. Wow. Um it's crazy. I mean you know, I have right. a surface level understanding or uh, you know knowledge of that thing but crazy i mean the dynamics on the ship must have been insane you know um but they came back and they had like immense wealth i mean you can imagine uh, i think they had to rip out the floorboards to make weight for like the the treasure they had on there and all the spice and stuff and um fascinating story i don't know why we're actually talking about it. i can't remember what what stuff yeah i thought we were talking about arches like what <laughs> I, although there are arches on the Golden Hind, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yes, there are. Yes, there are. Although they are made of wood, so maybe, maybe you wouldn't. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Timber. Still I, better than brick. <laughs> I feel like brick is your version of um, my disparaging of uh, of garlic and onions mm. and not being present in, <laughs> in British cuisine. The irony is <laughs> that I love, I love Byzantine architecture. I think it's really cool. It's like, but it is very brick heavy. <laughs> I don't know. I, there's something inside me. I can't reconcile the two. That they're just separate parts of the brain, you know. Okay, maybe a bit, a bit dirty, like you. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, self-hating. You know. <laughs> like, it's, it's very cool. I mean, obviously, it's so influential. Like, um, you know, the Sacré-Cœur in um, in Paris is like there's so many neo-Byzantine buildings. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's also neo-Byzantinism. It's a it's a big thing in the Balkans as well, where. You have plenty of like neo-Byzantine buildings uh, created in Eastern Europe in general, actually, uh, Orthodox kind of uh, cultures. But it's, it's very cool seeing them built in uh, in somewhat modern times um, as a harken back to uh, the good old days. You know, I wish they were kind of subjugated by the yeah, bands, but, yeah. but um, yeah, there are some cool examples that I saw in the Balkans, actually, that I omitted from this, but I might mention in the next episode. Yeah, well, I mean, it'll, it'll work date-wise for the next episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. More medieval times. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, I have to say as well, like having, you know, looking at pictures of Byzantine architecture and generally kind of the, hmm. the stark kind of brick facade, um, you know, um, which we don't know if it was a stark brick facade. Yeah, You know, with San Vitale or something. We'd, we'd I, I think we can assume at least some of them were, yeah. Well, yeah, like, you know, San, San Vitale and, like, San uh, Apollinare, like, they, they're, like, very well-preserved, and they are brick exterior. Mm. And I think I think a lot of, like, you know, the Hagia Sophia, for example, was covered in marble, so... Yeah, you know, that, that's obviously the centerpiece, that's the capital. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but, you know, San Vitale probably was brick-covered. Um, mm. But, you know, having been to, like, um, you know, Montenegro, for example, it's an Orthodox culture, mm. and um, you still do have... Orthodox churches that are built of brick and stone and stuff. Um, it really does work really well. I mean, it's it's uh, we didn't mention this in, in the actual podcast itself, but the juxtaposition of you know a relatively nondescript looking building, you know, obviously has some flair to it, but yeah, um, you know, compared to some more secular buildings, it, it doesn't really stand out that much. Um, but walking inside, it's a complete like you know, there's there's a complete threshold, you know. I mean, I mean, do you think linking back to the, um, particularly the examples from uh, Salucchia Piero, do you think it's like uh, almost like a an attempt to recreate like a cave feeling, or I think I think it's more than that. I think we we mentioned it before. Oh, of course, yeah, it's more than that. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I guess in some ways, like there is that <clears throat> with Salucchia Piero, for example, it is interesting how they've the, the philosophy is similar, right? Where the exterior doesn't resemble the interior. Yeah. Um, and there's a clear dissonance between them and clearly on purpose too, right? And I think, you know, I suppose with Suluki Piero, for example, maybe there's this aspect of like humanity forging its way through nature and, you know, the, the kind of, I, I, I don't know the kind of Sulukian or same kind of uh, philosophy or religion at the time, but... It's, it's, it's basically just uh, like Hellenistic gods, but with a particular focus on uh, Apollo. Right, 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 right. So, 
Yes. Yeah, oh, in, in that area anyway. Obviously, it differs in various different parts of the empire. Mm. But I think in any case, there is, I mean, mm. it's a circumstantial difference as well, isn't it? But it also is, um, you know, a material difference. Clearly, stepping into the building uh, is a space which influences you, like, massively. And I think um, in the case of things like Byzantine or, you know, kind of orthodox buildings in general, mm. there is that sense of kind of, you know, you kind of relinquish your your bodily kind of life in that sense. You, you kind of... Yeah. You're entering a... A non-temporal space in some ways. Yeah, it's otherworldly. It's diaphanous. It's, it's you know the way of the, the way the light works in there. The way kind of you know the the mosaics and the glistening kind of flames, yeah. kind of illuminating the mosaics and and the you know, um, but like housed within like quite a humble looking, you know, mm. kind of stark looking building. I mean, I mean, it is an, it is an interesting um, intellectual kind of jump to go from. Um, so obviously, you know, paganism is a very incredibly broad term. Mm. Uh, I mean, various, various things, right? Um, but say, for example, you know, you're a classic um, Hellenistic um, pagan or someone who believes in the Hellenistic gods of your your particular area, um, right? And you know, the the whole thing about the afterlife being yeah, it's, it's going to be pretty nice, but that's not the whole focus of the religion, right? Like, um, whereas in Christianity, that that is in many ways like a huge focus, like the <laughs> main focus, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Religion is like, you know, basically like be nice to people, then you go to heaven. Pretty much. Life, life sucks, like material life sucks, but you're going to have a way better time after, right? So, yeah, but, but don't worry about it, yeah, because like yeah. Cause next, it's going to be great. Um, yeah, whereas uh, it's it's kind of more equal. You know, it's it's a bit more like uh, life is okay now, like but in the afterlife it'll be a bit a little like it'll be a bit better. Mm. You know, so I mean so obviously famously um the Elysian fields uh are it's basically just like a land of plenty, basically yeah. like, you don't have to worry about you you don't have to be hungry again. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, like that's kind of it. <laughs> uh, versus this concept of like kind of eternal bliss and euphoria and yeah. Um, um, as well, isn't it? It's, it's never quite, yeah. you know, substantiating in that sense. But uh, yeah, absolutely. I think um, yeah, clearly, to me, that's what Byzantine or kind of early Christian architecture mm. kind of does say. It's that um, you know, the outside is the kind of flesh, the body, and the inside is the soul. And, mm. um, there's a clear hierarchy there, and there's a clear importance there with the soul being at the top. And, um, yeah, it's, it's really cool. I mean, you know, just stepping into the buildings, you know, on a sunny day, um, stepping into like a dark, uh, kind of candlelit building. Yeah. I mean, I mean, even now I quite enjoy really that. Cool. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's really cool, man. It's, it's, it's great. <laughs> you're, you're, you're stepping into a new space, you know, you're, you're, you're very demarcated. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, oh. very cool stuff. I, I enjoyed that a lot on, um, obviously it doesn't happen often going into churches in England. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, you know, when when, uh, when one is on holiday in, um, uh, I mean, so, so, uh, probably the, the best place I've been for that uh, recently is, well, se- semi-recently, it was before the pandemic, um, is Malta. Like that had a really good uh, kind of sense about that. That was really nice. Yeah, I bet. I mean, <laughs> that's yeah. like a, a kind of 
a nice kind of Templar place, isn't it? As well. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, I think I think it's like the most Catholic country in the world, but like by percentage. Mm. Uh, and and also they they haven't mucked around with their church as much. They haven't built extra bits or. Um, yeah, <clears throat> it's not had much like cross like syncretism or polish no. or anything like that, isn't it? Well, I mean, it's, it's, there's syncretism in in in, a, in some senses where there's there's a you know there's a bit of Italian, there's a bit of Spanish, mm. uh, mm. of going on. But but as in like when they build it, they kind of just leave it alone. Yeah, they have, yeah, they have yeah. Really done extra stuff to it, though, you know. Like, say for example, here uh, we've, we've made the, made the joke about everything being Victorian. Um, they, they they don't really have that, right? Basically, like they just built it and then they preserved it and they left it alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> it's crazy. Like that point about the Victorian. Well. Yeah, well, I guess I guess they had a, they had a lot of money. You know, it's, it's the height of. Um, you know, British colonialism and uh, the Industrial Revolution. Um, they've, they've got a lot of money, and uh, you know they're very famously very moralistic. Um, but then also uh, there's a huge boom in prostitution at the same time. So <laughs> I think, yeah, it's, they're very very weird society. <laughs> yeah, we definitely um, we don't want to turn this series into anything extended into. Um, yeah well i mean there's there's some very good points to be made about um i mean for instance i think it's really interesting how um you know if you look at various kind of um <laughs> this is going to sound quite nerdy but it's going to end up in a, in a good point <laughs> um, if you think if you think about like legislative chambers <laughs> this is the nerdy bit legislative chambers in the world right Okay, most of the time they look like a classical uh, kind of Greco-Roman uh, building, right? So, for instance, you know, you've got the U.S. Chambers of Congress, uh, you've got the um, the French House of Representatives, uh, you've got the Bundestag in Germany, right? They're all kind of very classical kind of buildings, right? Um, but then, if you compare it to the House of Parliament, that's that's a neo-Gothic building. Right? That's, that's very different uh, from other. Um, you know, European and uh, American democracies, right? Um, in how it chooses to present itself in that way, um, and there's 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 a lot to be said about that. Of, you know, why was that design style chosen? Definitely, but I mean that that in mm. itself is a really interesting story because they yeah. um, they won the competition, right? It was either going to be so the Palace of Westminster burnt down. Yes, it was either going to be um, it, it had to be like a British style, basically, to be mm. the Palace of Parliament. And so it was either going to be Elizabethan or Gothic, and of course, um, yeah. I mean, but even that brief is interesting. You know, why? Why yeah, do they? Yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, and it's, it's almost this kind of like um, separation from. It's 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 a very weird thing where obviously you know um, you know classics are, uh, as in the subjects of classics are um, are such a huge part of the uh, the learning of you know the the upper class in Britain. And yet, you know, for the, the the place that you know was mostly filled, if not entirely filled, with the upper class in in the 1830s when the, the House of Parliament was was rebuilt, they wanted it to be separate from that tradition, classic mm. tradition. But in a sense, I suppose you you could say that you know mm. the fetishization of, of classical kind of architecture, you know, yeah. Greek or Roman. But you know, culture is very far removed from our culture in in the UK. Oh and, yeah. Um, you know, it, I suppose 
leaning on the architecture of people that are culturally very far removed in that sense, you know, through mm. time and location as well. Um, yeah, I mean, but you know, you could argue that about like any country, like, like yeah, 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 definitely, but, definitely. But, but you know, but like, why, why? Um, I mean, this is like a kind of rhetorical question, but like, but but you know, why? Um, was it a conscious choice to to build the House of Parliament in in a non Greco Roman way, and everyone else said, "No, let's go for that." Yeah, yeah. Maybe it was just to celebrate the the innovation that British architecture mm. had done. Because I, I mean, the the perpendicular kind of style they've gone for in 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 the end. I mean, was uh, Pugin and Charles Barry, isn't it? And yeah. uh, but like yeah. the the perpendicular Gothic style that we eventually had turned into the Palace of Parliament um, was very much a British style of Gothic as well. It was an offshoot. Um, you know, that France had um, the Rayonnante, which is more like. Um, extending towards the heaven kind of like yeah yeah very very tall yeah yeah whereas um british had this kind of perpendicular uh, rectangular kind of style um mm. which was quite unique to to its own kind of geography which i think is quite interesting i, I, I mean it, it's definitely interesting I, I mean i mean my, my my theory is um it speaks to a kind of a concept of exceptionalism um and kind of big, like specialness or kind of like a belief in a specialness. Mm. Um, yeah, cause, cause, cause as you just said, you know, like there's, yeah, there's a French version of Gothic, obviously. Um, obviously there's a, uh, there's various different styles of Spanish architecture that are very Spanish. Um, same with German architecture as well. Um, but then, uh, why, why does, um, yeah. <laughs> Again, why, why, why the why the House of Parliament built built in this kind of like non classical style? Um, but you know, I guess I guess yeah. it, uh, probably my argument is probably that it, it makes more sense that it was if it was built in a Greco Roman style because Greco Roman is not what it is. I mean, English yeah. society is not founded on Greco Roman principles. It's not a Greco Roman um, culture. But, but, but that's that's the dichotomy, isn't it? That, that like uh, part of it is like yeah, 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 yeah. Very selective. It's like oh yeah, when we want it to be, it is, but when it isn't. And we don't want it to be, it isn't, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, America was founded on the principles, right? Like with Thomas Jefferson <laughs> and, uh, you know, the architecture, the, the classical yeah. architecture of um, early America is very much influenced by, yeah. you know, um, America, uh, Greco Roman mm. architecture. And it's really, really cool. Um, you know, some, some of the most interesting buildings in Washington, D.C., for example, are, are founded on um, Greco Roman. I mean, they, they love it, don't they? Yeah, they, love really- they do a great job with it. I mean, it's it's really cool. Like, um, at the same time, it's like <laughs> so far away from Greece and Rome, you know. I mean, ge- ge- geographically and yeah, in in every kind of other way, yeah, yeah, so, very, very, yeah. yeah. But at the same time, it's like, what else? Are they, you know, it, it'd be difficult for them to then create mm. architecture that's based on the natives that they, you know. Mm. Well, well, they, you know, they, they, they yeah, murdered and uh, genocided. Yeah, um, yeah. In, in that way, I suppose that kind of Greco-Roman style is very much the generic mm. kind of, um, you know, the, the homogenous European kind of identity. But um, you know, beyond that, I suppose you have variation. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, mean, I feel like I feel like we do our podcast on this. <laughs> 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 like uh, kind of like uh, the, um, I find it quite interesting the the uh, the use of 
Greco-Roman architecture or or uh, kind of claims to descendants from it. Yeah. And kind of like people fighting over who's, who's the most Greco-Roman and who isn't, you know? I mean, the irony is that places like Italy or Greece, they don't even have so much Greco-Roman architecture, you know? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they kind of fetishize it less. So it's more, um, yeah, yeah. Just... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that mm. in itself is an interesting point. Um, no, definitely. Yeah, you don't have anything to prove, I suppose. But um, we'll have something to prove. But I, you know, yeah. I guess it's uh, different depending on context. But yeah, definitely could make an episode about that. Um, although I don't think I'm quite well equipped to uh, to comment on it. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Uh, I'm sure you guys have all had a, <laughs> enough of our drunken ramblings. I've had enough of answers, has enough of... Uh, myself, the odd drunken ramblings of this Yeah, we, I mean, we talked about Golden Hinds and um, House of Parliament and um, sort of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how, how did we, I mean, we hope you've had a good time. Um, I've had a great time. I've had a great time. That's good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, so we, we hope you enjoyed uh, Archie's part two and uh, this um, after the episode segment as well. Um, yes. Yeah, and hope you have a great time and uh, look forward to seeing you or even hope you look forward to listening to us <laughs> at um, Archie's part three. Yes, final Conclusive part of the Archers trilogy. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I suppose. I mean, this is going to be a terrible joke, but um, you know, unlike the Archers, it will not go on for seventy years. <laughs> very, very uh, niche joke. <laughs> uh, I don't get it. Like... No, it's, it's, uh, there's there's a radio for um, soap called the Archers that's been going for about a hundred years, <laughs> basically. Yes. <yeah. laughs> Um, yeah, I, I hope it doesn't go on that long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but don't worry, it won't. Don't worry, yeah, it's, it's fine. Not last episode, episode three, next time. And also, unlike the Tetrarchy, which is named after number three, but it's actually number Ooh. four. True. This is the real Tetrarchy. <laughs> yeah, this is the real Tetrarchy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Three and three, and that's it. But maybe later, maybe at some point later. But maybe not. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I mean, we always come back and do Archer's Part 4 later on. Yeah. Archer's Part 4. That's like a, yeah, maybe 100th episode. Like, Joker is like a ghost episode. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unlisted or on YouTube, you know, just like. It is on YouTube, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, although... Ghost. Uh, ghost. <laughs> like, like make a new account. And then be, uh, <laughs> yeah, but we're still going to do tables at some point, so I'm looking forward oh, to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, tables. Yeah, yeah. Next week, next week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. I'm looking forward to it. I've got my notes ready. Okay, well, thank you. Thanks again. Good night. And good night. And good luck. <laughs> <laughs>